It's time to get up. Well, I think he's still an effective player, especially killing penalties. I think he can give you a bottom six minutes and kill penalties at an elite level. And those guys have value. Plus, he's one of the most character people I've met in my life. Not just in hockey. This guy's sincere. He's intelligent. He's a great leader. Like, they just got better. Even if he has a limited role there, they just got better. These guys are here to break it all down. Go beat the money! Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Playoffs? This is the starting lineup. Welcome to the final day of 2020. It is the starting lineup. No James Sobolski, no Perry Sokowski. Today, you got Bick Nazar, myself, and jumping in uh, with me is going to be Katie Caldwell and Jamie Dodd, who you've been hearing all week. And so I guess I'm the, the interrupting person <laughs> yeah. here in this scenario. You guys have been killing it all week. And I'm, I just, I, I feel like the... The BBC kid just strolling in into your guys' great hit here, and I- I'm walking in to uh, take some of the glory to, to finish out 2020. You're parachuting as long as you in. understand your role, Bic. But you were busy killing it on the program, too, yeah. so we can't even say that. It's like when uh, uh, when your boss comes in at the last minute and is like, oh, I've been doing this project the whole time to show to his boss. Exactly. <laughs> Look, 2020 has been the the year of the Zoom, the year of the conference call, all that sort of stuff. And one thing I've learned from this, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily have a lot of conference calls, but my friends have said this, that they have noticed that they've had conference calls where they don't say anything for 45 minutes. And you just have to, like, <laughs> say something at the end to acknowledge that everyone should acknowledge your presence. It, it's just Absolutely. one of those things of, like... Oh, hey, yeah, I think this is a great idea, guys. And thanks to our, and of course, you got to use like corporate terms, like thanks oh, yeah. to our synergy, we are really going to pull this off. It's like, oh, okay, everyone suddenly feels great. <laughs> and you're, 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 you're you know, a, a functioning member of a team. That's basically how it's gone. So that's how I feel today. Well, that uh, I... I hope you can at least hit the functioning bar. Because <laughs> it's early, exactly. man. And I just realized this last night, Big, like you were on the program last night. So, I mean, this is, you know, you were working until seven and then you get off and I don't know, like prep or whatever for an hour and then you're uh, go to sleep. You're right back at it today, man. You're you're working quite the schedule. I, I'm, I'm here for for all the talk. Earl, well, you, here's what happened. But Colton and, and, and Arvid Kosmar looked good last night. So I was like, oh, I got to get on the morning show. I, I can't wait till four o'clock. <laughs> to I got to get these takes off. Yeah, precisely. So. We're going to touch on that. Uh, we're going to talk to Todd Furman as well, who uh, uh, we just actually might to reschedule with him, actually. So usually we talk to him on Thursday morning. So we'll reschedule with Todd. Uh, and also Brian Burke will join us at 7.05 and Brendan Batchelor for your Canucks commute. Obviously plenty to talk about with the Canucks just days away from the start of Canucks training camp. That goes Sunday. Travis Green and Jim Benning will meet with media. Uh, we're always going to touch on that, just the whole – uh, training camp angle, especially with news yesterday with the AHL, uh, their intended start date early February, February 5th, I think it was. And so what does that mean for taxi squad and all that? So we'll touch on that with back we'll touch on that throughout the show. You can always get involved 650, 650 onto our Dunbar lumber text line, but let's start with last night's game, uh, Sweden and Russia. I'm so impressed every single time I watch Sweden, just cause they're doing this so shorthanded. But it was the game of the tournament so far. Goes to overtime. 
fantastic ending. Uh, but the big takeaway here is, and, and it's, it's kind of gone through this again. We, we kind of chilled out about it yesterday because it put Colson looking good the day before. But, you know, Vasily Colson has another strong game, and it's kind of lighting up the eyes for everyone in Canucks Nation right now. Pod Colson, man, the more I see of him, and, you know, I know, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not keeping tabs and getting up and watching his KHL games like some people, but the more I see of him, the more I like him. And, and the thing that strikes me about Vasily Pod Colson is maybe he doesn't have the, the high ceiling of some prospects we've, we've become accustomed to seeing here in Vancouver, but he has an incredibly, incredibly high floor to me. You just watch his game mm-hmm. and, all of the different things he can do with the puck, away from the puck, on defense, on the forecheck. He has so many different aspects to his to his game. It's just, I, I can't imagine. And I get there's always uncertainty and there's always weird things can happen, but it's just so hard for me to imagine a scenario where he doesn't become a useful NHL player. He just, he can do too many things well for that not to happen, it seems to me. Well, you hit the nail on the head, Jamie. He just looks so well-rounded in so many different ways. And it it looked like he got the confidence boost that he needed after that Austria game. And it, man, did it ever carry over into that game last night. It's just, he looks like a leader in every way. And we talked about it yesterday, just his elite passing ability, his offensive and defensive ability, just he's playing like all of the prospect experts said that he could. And it's really cool to see not just that one flash in the pan game last or the other night to see it again against team Sweden. Who's so strong. It was just, man, is he ever fun to watch? And that battle last night between him and Cosmar, I could have watched that for 10 more periods. That was here's, here's what I think has happened when it comes to the conversation of put Colton and realistically all the Canucks prospects. Cause the, the days leading up to this tournament and the days leading up to that Austria game, a lot of the conversation was, oh, is this guy going to be worth the 10th overall pick and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, as misguided as it was. But here's what I think has happened. With the with the last, uh, I, could, I think you can say going back to 2013, since Pro Horvath got drafted, every Canucks prospect has provided Canucks fans like a honeymoon period, like a post-engagement period. You've committed to this guy, and now you get to show it off for a while, and you get to, you know, brag to all your other friends. It's like, hey, I've committed to this person. This is what's, what's going to happen. And you kind of go through this, and like, Bo Horvat. not only did you get to see him in Memorial Cups, you know, after the Canucks drafted him, the London Knights hosted a Memorial Cup, and it went well. Jake for Cannon, obviously everyone had local ties to him. Everyone kind of knew him. Brock Besser goes on to win a national championship with North Dakota. Old Levy provided uh, the World Juniors prior to being drafted, and so he was kind of on the scene. We know what Elias Pettersson did in his eight, in his in his final SHL season. Queen Hughes had some hoopla with the University of Michigan. You got to watch those games. You got to see him at the World Juniors. But every one of these Canucks prospects has provided you that post-draft honeymoon period. And we haven't had that with Vasily Colson, and it's been a long time coming to kind of experience a a high having drafted the player. And because you haven't had that, because it's KHL, you're you're basically for for the average fan, you're you're watching gifts and you're watching highlights of it. So you you haven't really been able to attach yourself to a series of games. And we knew this coming into the draft pick. This is why there is risk involved in it. 
and you're living in the timeline of that risk, but finally has provided you something tangible that I don't think Canucks fans have been able to put their hands on for the last 18 months since his draft. Well, and with prospects, it's so much of what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me right now? And I feel like Canucks fans are probably triggered by Ole Levy, where we've had the conversation so many times about, okay, it's been this many years and whichever. And the conversation before we saw Puckles and have a good game the other night was, okay, people are looking at Cole Caulfield. People are looking at Alex Newhook. And I had to laugh. Pete Blackburn tweeted last night. I feel like Vasily Podkolzin has been involved in every World Juniors tournament for the last 20 years. And he's totally right because, yeah, we've seen him around and then you keep kind of thinking, like, when is it going to happen? When is that production? So it's been really cool to see the distinct shift, especially on Twitter. <laughs> the content has been unbelievable. But <laughs> it's been yeah, eight, you know years. And that that's one of the things about this tournament is, you know, just strictly from a fan perspective, from a hype perspective, you know, there are plenty of people in this market, analysts, media, Canucks fans, obviously paying close attention to Vasily Podkols and paying really close attention to Niels Hoglander and other prospects. But mm-hmm. I mean, now you're seeing Vasily Podkols and get a spotlight, not just for Canucks fans, but for the entire world of hockey, right? Like he is, he has been one of the major stories uh, for the last two days here at the World Juniors. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Bick, right? Is it's like this moment of feeling you know like the attention of the hockey world on you that people are people are acknowledging wow this guy is the real deal he has a lot of potential that's just inherently a really fun feeling as a hockey fan Mm -hmm. when that happens to one of your prospects and I will also say I mean you were going through the list of uh of honeymoon prospects there and it's it's kind of hard to believe that there was ever a honeymoon period with Jake Vertanen (laughs) where we are now with him but I guess you're right uh, and I guess that means, you know, he was drafted in 2014. We're, we're coming up into 2021. So we're, we're going into the uh, the seven-year itch period with uh, Jake Vertanen. Sure. Is, I guess, where we're but, at. But, but he did have a, a good uh, junior year. He was over a point a game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, his first uh, post-draft year. Yeah. His draft plus one year. Uh, and, and I think because it's the local aspect, people felt good about that, right? There, there was never a time to not feel good about that. There were people hyped people were... on the pick, for sure. Yeah, right? Enough of the fan base supported it to say, I feel good about it after the pick was made. So we we, we haven't necessarily had that moment with Vasily Colson. Actually, to be honest, it, it, like it was celebrated, obviously, the day of, just because there was a guy that slid to you. But there's also a lot of like nervous enthusiasm. It's like that moment on a... Uh, uh, when you're flying, and you, you hit a bit of turbulence, and you kind of like look at your passengers and you just kind of like nervously laugh. It's like, oh, all right. It's like, ha, 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 ha. sure hope that doesn't happen again. And Canuck fans are like thrilled. So it's like, hey, here's this guy who was, you know, potential top three at the beginning of the year, and he slid to you at ten. And it's like, oh, this feels great. But we're also the ones that drafted the guy that was sliding. I hope this works out. And he like, there's gonna be this shroud of mystery behind him because what's his investment level from a KHL team that you know probably doesn't need to spend a lot of time with his development it probably doesn't want to spend a lot of time with his development i love the airplane analogy because it's so true you look around you're like okay they're not freaking out so i don't have to freak out yeah but like every passenger has that same moment of like (laughs) (laughs) okay i feel like we could also use the term that i'm still so triggered by from surrounding the lockout but cautiously optimistic (laughs) (laughs) because how many times did we hear that around that time but i think that's what a lot of people were feeling 
when Stan Smeal butchered his name for that pick. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, it, I, and Vic, you, it's a great point about when you when you're the team that chooses the slider, right? Because it's so easy to spin mm-hmm. it in either way. Like, hey, this guy was projected, you know, in the top three. This is amazing. What a value we got! But in the back of your mind, you also know, well, look, there's a reason this guy is sliding, right? These teams didn't just. You know, all all for all decide to ignore a, a consensus top three pick for no reason. There's there's got to be something there that causes them to slide. I don't even know how you would go about doing it. It would be so difficult to do in any sort of objective empirical way. But I would love to see a study of you know draft sliders versus draft risers. Like, is it is it over the course of you know your entire the entire existence of an NHL team is it good to draft people who have who have slid down the board or is it better to draft the guys that come charging up late and uh yeah it, the Vasily Podkolzin experience is just it's a classic example of that where you see all the tools and all the upside but you've also got a firsthand experience with the risk that caused him to fall down the board a little bit well cuz a lot of the times when guys fall i find that it's it's injury history which you can take a look at the NFL and Tua was such a big conversation piece with that because of the injury history. But that's where I find that you can get the gold because I understand the risk with injury. So why they would fall down to a level where maybe they can't be someone that slots into the lineup sooner than later, just because of what they've been dealing with. But yeah, I find it interesting because you can truly find the gold if you're willing to take that risk. It's just kind of a risk reward thing. 660, your thoughts always welcome. we got John all wishing us a happy new year, of course, the final day of 2020. We're going to touch on some of the biggest stories throughout the year uh, over the course of this hour. Uh, Todd Furman will join us at 630 as well. Uh, Bick Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd also here on the show is our guy Chris Faber. You can follow him on Twitter. Actually, actually I just noticed today uh, with, with the three of you, uh, all three of you have your full name in your Twitter you're, you're very fortunate to, to have that kind of Twitter handle luck at Jamie Dodd, at Katie Loris, and at Chris Faber 39, whereas I'm uh, at Bic 650. Maybe maybe by the end of the show, I uh, I changed my Twitter how, handle. How was Bic Nazar taken? I find that hard to believe. Uh, let me quickly check here. Uh, it is not taken. There I know at Whoa. Bic. Get on it. At Bic uh, was, was not taken. Or sorry, was taken. And the account has been suspended, so I've been waiting for Twitter to like clear it out so it can be at Bic. Oh, that'd be dope. I just imagine that'd you going vis- visiting at Bic every day to see what's going on with it. And come on, <laughs> I want it. I want it, man. How dare you mock my morning routine? <laughs> I don't mine. I had to throw my middle name in there, and a lot of people get confused about what my actual last name is. But I have the most basic name imaginable in Katie Caldwell, so I would have had to have about seventeen numbers if I didn't have a unique middle name. Oh, interesting. All right, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but I want to get Chris Faber involved in the conversation, uh, talking about last night's game, put Colson and Kostmar. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Chris? Just uh, Is it fair to suggest that Canucks fans can now breathe a sigh of relief over the last two days? Yeah, if there wasn't so much heavy breathing over Arvid Kostmar and what he was doing in the game as well. I mean, like he didn't have a lot of expectations coming into this tournament, but he comes in as a second-line center for Sweden, and I really thought that he might have been the most impactful player on the ice for Sweden. And unfortunately, he takes that penalty that ends up uh, resulting in the win for Russia in overtime, but like Kostmar was the was the big story for me last night, to be honest. Kostmar so- in the game for Sweden, sorry. I had to get that in there. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. Um, Faber, you had a tweet that made me laugh so hard because I think a lot of us really resonated with this. It was, yeah, Arvid Kosmar is part rat, but he's our rat. And I think that is so much fun because and I ended up typing in Kosmar and rat in a Twitter and so many people had the same thought process. But yeah, we've gone through that with Alex Burroughs where he's someone that if he's on your team, it's totally fine and you love it. But then when it's in the case of, say, a Brad Marchand, you love it quite a bit less. So yeah, he's definitely someone that is our rat, <laughs> as you put it. I had to laugh at that. And, and it's funny because if it was anybody else mixing it up in the corner with Vasily Colson, they would immediately be, you know, the new public enemy number one for Canucks fans. Yep. We, we've seen this <laughs> go down the list of players who've been inter- intertwined with, you know, Elias Pettersson on the ice uh, throughout his first couple seasons, right? It, it doesn't take long for Canucks fans to get up in arms, but because it's a Canucks prospect, it's like, oh, well, okay, that's fine. I mean, if, if anyone's <laughs> going to be doing it to Pod Colson, at least it's going to be one of our guys. Nick Nazar, Jamie Dodd, and Katie Caldwell. Also, hear the voice of Chris Faber as we're talking about uh, Vasily Podkolzin and Arvid Kosmar last night. Uh, Want to touch on some, you know, since it is New Year's Eve, uh, we should uh, touch on a couple of things that have happened throughout the year. So, if you want to chime in, 650, 650, what to you were the biggest stories of 2020? Uh, I know it's going to be a lot of it's going to get dominated by sports shutting down or whatnot. But to you, what were the, the with the sports that we did get? What were the biggest st- sports stories of 2020 that you saw this year? We're, we're going to touch on them throughout the the entire show, but uh, we're we're going to bring up a handful of different ones. Let's start with the Canucks playoff run. We are the home of the Canucks. Uh, what this meant to get it to for, a get to the playoffs and then actually having a a bit of a run there. Do we look at it differently because of the different circumstances? You know, having to do a play-in series versus Minnesota. It it, it feels like the pandemic and the stoppage kind of benefited the Canucks in that way because they were kind of running on fumes near the end of uh, the regular season. And to get that break really helped kind of revitalize their opportunity. Well, it was just such a unique situation that we've never seen where you get such a long break before the playoffs, because typically, especially if you're a team that's fighting really hard to get into the playoffs, you're dealing with a ton of injuries. So that was so, so unique and something I think we'll never forget. But the coolest part about that for me was just seeing guys like Quinn Hughes and Pedersen, everyone that... And we talked about this yesterday, Jamie, the team didn't have a lot of expectations going in, but it was really, really cool to see the guys that could kind of rise up and deal with that big spotlight and they exceeded everyone's expectations. So yeah, that's definitely what I'll remember the most is just being so blown away by how they were able to do it when there were no expectations on them. You know, I I think, and the, it's interesting because playoff runs that don't go all the way to the Stanley Cup final and don't end a Stanley Cup. They are, I think it always depends, how we remember them in the long term depends on what happens next, right? Like if this Canucks right. group wins a Stanley Cup in the next two or three years or three or four, four or five, whatever you want to say, we will look back at this playoff run differently than if that never happens. You know what I mean? But just in the moment, the fact all of the circumstances surrounding it and coming in the middle of the, the COVID-19 pandemic to me, that makes it stand out more and be more important and be and be an even more kind of cherished memory about the Canucks. Because, you know, I remember going into it. Okay, we got the bubble going. 
it's great. The Canucks hockey is back. We're also excited. And, you know, for us, it's a professional thing as well as a fan personal thing, right? We love hockey, but we are also just excited because it impacts our job. And I, I just remember going into that series of Minnesota and realizing, you know, this they, they, they could be done in three games. And that could be four days. Like, they started on a Sunday, I believe. The whole thing could have been over on Thursday. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> how anticlimactic and and just depressing is that going to be? That we've been so hyped to get hockey back. We're the home of the Canucks. We've been so excited for it. How devastating is it going to be if it's just a complete non-event and, and ends in, this, in less than a week? I was very concerned about that. Not because I thought the Canucks were going to lose to Minnesota or anything, just because I knew that was a possibility. And instead, the exact opposite happened, right? And we got a month of awesome hockey from the Canucks, awesome moments. Uh, you know, that's 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 something that those individual moments are what you you look back and remember about a playoff run. And obviously, you know, the Bo Horvat overtime goal, the the Tyler Mott goal, some of the saves from Jacob Markstrom. There there are really distinct moments that you can recall. And I just know for myself, I I needed sports back in a big way. I needed hockey back in a big way. And man, the Canucks came through and gave like exceeded my expectations gave us more hockey than I was possibly expecting. And I I really think I'll always remember that, you know, and even if it doesn't end up as the precursor run to an ultimately successful Stanley Cup run, I still think I'm going to have really positive memories of that month of hockey just because it was so desperately needed for, for me and I think for a lot of other people. Yeah, the emergence of young talent is it's always such a good feeling right it's it's one of the reasons why we watch the world juniors it's it's nice to watch uh people fulfill their potential and that's why people love watching like like the world juniors that's why people love watching reality shows like the voice and stuff like that it's, it's nice to see people fulfill their potential and that's kind of what this playoff run was about to see okay there's another layer to be pulled for Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And you kind of got to see a flash of that. Same for Bo Horvat uh, in, in a big way for him. And knowing that those guys have that ability is something that it, it precursor is a good word to it. It's like that uh, an opening scene in the movie that makes no sense. And then they come back to it like an hour into the movie. It's like, oh, right. <laughs> you already showed me this. So if in three years time, the Canucks make a Stanley Cup run or something like that, and they go to the the third or fourth round. We're all going to be able to say, "Oh, remember that time?" And you know, during the pandemic in 2020, they actually had a bit of a playoff run. It's 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 a precursor to that moment. And we hope down the road the Canucks have that moment. And that's I think how you come away from it and say, "Boy, I really felt good about that. It was a, an exciting run. We got we got a host of great moments. Uh, we we did this thing over the the Christmas break there of doing our top 10 Canucks moments and trying to cut down the playoff list was really tough for me because there was just so many, like between the Bo Horvat goals and Quinn Hughes passing and Elias Patterson goal scores or Jacob Markstrom's uh, massive period there in game five in, in the second period. There were the, just the Chris, so the many. The Chris Tanev goal to win the Minnesota series. I, I feel like that one's already almost been forgotten. I mean, that that was a goal, an overtime yeah. goal to win a, a postseason series. I know it's the play-in round, so we don't quite know what to call it, but that that's a huge moment when you think about it. We, we've gone well, through I, this year. We haven't even mentioned Thatcher Demko, right? It's just like the, yeah. for, for, for a short run, there was a lot packed in by the Vancouver Canucks. 
you're right. There were so many different cool storylines that emerged out of that. Well, and even guys, we'll get into this a bit later in the show, talking about the important stories of the year. But we were also given a unique opportunity to see the guys' leadership off the ice in a really mm-hmm. unique situation around the pause, where the Canucks and Knights are in a really hard-fought series. And then you see some guys from the Canucks be kind of leading voices and having tough conversations. And the moment where they're all standing up there together for that press conference, like stuff like that, the fact that the Canucks were a part of that is something I will never, ever forget. Uh, I would be remiss to not even mention uh, Mott Girl Summer. And, totally. Uh, I'm not dominating <laughs> it completely. Uh, I had to get that one in there before we go. It's Vic Nazar. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Katie Caldwell here on the starting lineup, filling in for James and Perry on the final day of 2020. What were your biggest stories? Chime in 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line. We're going to talk to Todd Furman. Week 17 betting action. How do you deal with the last final week in the NFL season? On the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Happy New Year's Eve. Final show of 2020 of the starting lineup. No James or Perry. It is Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd, and Katie Caldwell running the show. Uh, Chris Faber playing uh, some ABBA. Take a chance on me? Is that a, a throw to the, the Canucks taking a chance on Arvid Costumer in the seventh round? And it's somewhat paying off, Chris? This is a throwback Thursday, and it's an actual throwback, not just a song from 2005. Wow. <laughs> hey, come on. I love it. What's the actual statute of limitations on a throwback? I think it's 10 years. What? Uh, no. See, I, I'm... But Katie, I, if, if we played something from 2007, you wouldn't be like, oh, I remember listening to that in a random scenario for you. I, I still consider anything that came out post, like, 2005 to be, like, new music. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the stage <laughs> of my life I'm at. Post yeah. new music. You also realize that 2007 was, in fact, not 10 years ago, right? <laughs> right, but it's 13 years ago, right? If we played something from 07, 06, I would, like, flash back in my life and be like, I remember hearing this at this moment in time. And to me, that would uh, signify an old enough memory. I guess a throwback is fair. I guess maybe I'm thinking of the term oldie. What would you guys consider an oldie? So, well, an well, oldie, we were having this debate on the program recently. An oldie oh, to like, me is like, I mean, okay, here's the thing. When we were growing up, an, there was like classic rock, and then there was oldies. And oldies to me yes. was like the, the 50s, maybe into the, the crooners. 60s. Yeah. That, and then classic rock was like 60s, 70s, 80s. Now, I don't know. Like, in, I, they probably play theory, like... that years should keep cre- creeping up. Well, that's like, the at, thing. At some point, Justin Bieber is going to be oldies. Oh, or, or is Justin Bieber classic and then like nirvana is an oldie no nirvana is probably they probably play nirvana on classic rock now i mean i guess they kind of did even when i was in high school a little bit but they must now that's fair i i assume they're but i I don't i think nirvana is classic rock and then yeah like a pop thing would be like britney spears will be oldies someday are we gonna have a classic pop category coming up i think that's oldies that's what oldies are right (laughs) Or like classic pop I guess pop so. Songs. I just like the term classic pop. Classic pop. Like Britney is classic pop to me. <laughs> We're already at that stage where she is classic pop. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. Uh, we're going to be joined with Todd Furman in just a minute here, uh, talking some Week 17 betting lines. Uh, actually, he's on the line right now, Todd Furman. Uh, joining us uh, from Las Vegas, you can check him out uh, for, on the Bet the Board podcast, or the, the co-founder of Bet the Board, and I'll also check him out on Fox Bet Live. Todd, uh, how is your New Year's Eve in Las Vegas going? Uh, a little bit different than what we would normally be doing uh, under regular circumstances. There'll be no trips down to the Strip tonight, no big gatherings or anything along those lines. So just hoping for a competitive sports schedule today in anticipation of two big college football playoff games tomorrow. Uh, and, of course, NFL Week 17, which will go a long way in defining who we think has an excellent shot to win the Lombardi Trophy. I do want to touch on the college football before we let you go, but let's start with week 17 uh, in the NFL. How does this week from a betting perspective differ from the other 16 weeks? Is there a different environment for it? There's no doubt about it. This is going to feel a lot more like the preseason in some regards where you're constantly scouring not only the injury reports, but trying to figure out which teams are going to utilize their starters and how long those guys are going to go. Perfect illustration, as soon as we saw the Buffalo Bills dominate the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football this week and have an inside track to getting the two-seed in the AFC, you saw that number get absolutely buried uh, on Tuesday morning with money coming in on the Miami Dolphins, who are in a must-win scenario if they're going to secure passage to the playoffs. Uh, we know, of course, that Big Ben won't be playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, so that number has gone from 6.5 out to the double-digit range. And a lot of those other storylines that we're going to be following in the 72 hours leading up to kickoff, and probably one of the biggest remaining ones out there is in regards to the Arizona Cardinals and Los Angeles Rams. How healthy will Kyler Murray be? Uh, if you believe the betting markets, the money is already starting to show up for Arizona with them pushing out to a full field goal favorite. Meanwhile, I think there's going to be a little bit of opportunity for the Rams, even with a backup, to pull off the upset at home. And, Todd, another game where there are questions at quarterback is for uh, the Washington football team. Of course, they've been in turmoil this week, releasing Dwayne Haskins. Alex Smith still recovering from an injury. I don't believe they've named their starter yet, uh, but it looks like it's going to be Taylor Henneke. Obviously not who you want to have uh, under center for you when you're going into a must-win game to try to get into the playoffs. What's your read on the Washington football team going up against Philadelphia on the Sunday nighter? I think Washington's going to do everything they can to delay the inevitable of making that starting quarterback announcement. We've seen it over the last couple of weeks, optimism on Friday that Alex Smith could potentially be the starter, and they've had to go through the Dwayne Haskins experience, uh, and that kind of bottomed out last weekend against the Carolina Panthers before Taylor Henneke came in to get his feet wet leading this offense. But when you look at these two quarterbacks and the difference in terms of overall level of experience as NFL starters, Taylor Henneke has thrown 77 passes during his NFL career. Alex Smith has thrown more than 5,100 passes. Little to say Washington would love to have the former number one pick and Smith out there, considering that he's led the offense to nearly 27 points per game where all other Washington quarterbacks have barely produced more than 18 points a contest. So I think if Smith plays, you're going to trust that Washington has a veteran leader under center. Meanwhile, if it's Taylor Henneke, I'd be more inclined to make a case for the Eagles, knowing that Jalen Hurts is still playing for his job and a chance to win the starting quarterback position next year, uh, despite Philadelphia being mathematically eliminated from winning that NFC East. They may be eliminated, but yeah, Jalen Hurts has just been a delight to watch so far. Uh, Todd, you brought up Big Ben. This Sunday, we'll see Mason Rudolph in for the Steelers. And of course, we all remember what happened last time he played against Miles Garrett and the Browns. Um, obviously a big one for Cleveland, though. How do you see this game playing out with Big Ben sitting on the sidelines? 
We can only hope that uh, this one is a little bit more uneventful than the last time we saw Mason Rudolph <laughs> out there and that Miles Garrett will be on his best behavior in, in this football game. I think this is a big number, to be quite honest. We saw this price open with Cleveland around a six-and-a-half-point favorite earlier in the week. Number ballooned out uh, through the key number of seven in that nine-and-a-half, ten range. And this is a Cleveland franchise, and let's not kid ourselves. They haven't exactly experienced a whole lot of prosperity in the last 17 years, last playoff game in 2002. And we've seen 187 NFL playoff games take place since the Cleveland Browns have been involved in one of those. So there's going to be a little bit of pressure. I think it's so important for Kevin Stefanski's team to get off to a fast start because the longer this game goes and Pittsburgh remains in striking distance, I think those nerves really get ratcheted up. And it's not by coincidence that over the last couple of seasons, we typically see at least one underdog of a touchdown or more win a game outright on the final Sunday of the season. Uh, let's hope for all those long-suffering Browns fans that isn't what happens here at the hands of one of their most bitter rivals in the form of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I should mention as well, right now, Adam Schefter just reporting that the Browns training facility has closed this morning as uh, COVID issues and troubles mount in Cleveland, per a source. That's from Adam Schefter. So uh, might throw it a, a monkey wrench into that betting line as well. Uh, moving forward here. I do want to talk about like the, the futures here, because I'm sure some people still want to bet on Super Bowl odds. But there are some interesting teams that are like outside the playoffs right now. For instance, uh, the Indianapolis Colts have had a very good season, 10-5. and five. Uh, I, I imagine from, from a bookmaker's perspective, uh, they would love to have a bit more clarity on the playoff picture heading into this week 17. Cause I imagine you can probably get good odds on the Arizona's of the world or the, the Ravens or the Colts of the world right now. Well, I think the Colts were extremely intriguing uh, as a little bit of a dark horse, knowing they were going to need some help to even get into the playoffs, uh, given the fact that they blew a 24 seven lead last weekend against the Steelers, but big time injury news earlier this week, losing your starting left tackle and Anthony Costanzo. I think it makes it an uphill battle for Indianapolis to win three games in as many weeks, or I guess four, if you count this coming Sunday against Jacksonville, and take Phillip Rivers down to Tampa and have him with a chance to win his first Lombardi trophy. You mentioned the Ravens, though, and that's an interesting team because you could have had them right around 30-1 to uh, to win the whole thing way back before their Monday night football thriller against the Cleveland Browns. It's a team right now showing a ton of confidence, albeit beating up on an inferior schedule, but they have the luxury of going into this postseason not playing with any of the pressure that weighed them down last year before they were upset by the Tennessee Titans. In terms of some of the liabilities, after speaking to the guys that we talk to regularly at FanDuel, uh, they'd be thrilled to see a Kansas City Chiefs repeat as Super Bowl champions, knowing how short their odds have been all season long, and you don't have to worry about any of the long shots crashing the party. I think there are more or less five to six teams that can win it. If you look in the AFC and you believe in the Ravens, throw them in the mix, but the Bills and Kansas City Chiefs check those boxes. And in the NFC, we're talking about the Packers, Seahawks, and Saints being the three most complete teams out there. And Todd, just before we let you go here, you know, you mentioned off the top that uh, before we get to Week 17 in the NFL, there's uh, some big bowl games tomorrow in college football, including, of course, the two uh, college football playoff semifinals. And, you know, for, for people that might not necessarily pay as close attention to the NCAA as they do the NFL, I think it could be jarring. You know, you go, you want to place a bet on one of the semifinals, and you see Alabama against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's supposed to be the fourth best team in the country, and right now the number I'm looking at has them as 20-point underdogs against uh, Alabama. Do you uh, – I mean, I, I see 20 points, and it's really, really hard for me to take that number, but what uh, what's your read on that semifinal? 
Hey, we've seen all sorts of surprises in sports, and if the World Junior Championships are any indication to see Sweden lose a group game, then it's possible that Notre Dame could go out there and do the unthinkable uh, and knock off Alabama here. I wouldn't, however, bank on the Fighting Irish pulling off that upset. Uh, You mentioned how big that number is and talking about the four best teams in the eyes of the playoff committee. This Alabama offense, extremely high-powered. We know how many NFL stars are out there dominating. The key for the Irish is to play a little bit of keep away. One of the best teams in the ACC in terms of time of possession at right around 34 minutes per game. If they're able to shorten this contest and make Bama one-dimensional, I think they can be competitive from start to finish. Uh, But it appears that we're headed on an Alabama versus Clemson crash course, seemingly like we get every year, albeit interrupted a season ago when we had LSU dominate Clemson uh, instead of the traditional matchup between two familiar foes. He is Todd Furman, at Todd Furman on Twitter and also on the Bet the Board podcast. Todd, thank you very much. Uh, All your help throughout the course of the year. Hope New Year's Eve is safe and happy for you and yours. Always a pleasure, guys. Have a happy and healthy New Year up there in Vancouver as well. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast, bettheboard.com. We are running a bit late. We'll come back. More Canucks talk on the way. The training camp roster has been released. What does this mean for the taxi squad with the AHL making an announcement on their return as well? We'll touch on that coming up here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The program with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shaw today at 4. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup. It's Vic Nazar with Katie Caldwell and Jamie Dodd filling in for James Perry on the final day of 2020. Yes, the year that we have all collectively, I don't want to say hate. Hate is a strong word. I I would Uh, just go ahead and say hate there, Vic. (laughs) The year we have collectively been dismayed by. How about that? Sure. The the year we collectively despised. Yes. All I can say, guys, it is the last day of 2020, and I've never been so excited to close a book and open another. <laughs> I know right? things won't be that different, but just even in our own headspace, I think we just need to close this one right out and leave it on a shelf in a closet. <laughs> it, it is one of the things I hate about New Year's Eve in general. It's like this assumed, oh, because because we flip the calendar, that means we flip everything else over in our lives, and suddenly everything gets magically better. Uh Generally speaking, I don't subscribe to that theory. It's like we got to put the work in to get better at anything, no matter the date, no matter the Mm -hmm. time change, whatever it is. However, I will subscribe to it for this year. I think, (laughs) like, mentally, we all just need, like, the calendar to change. We're like, okay, yes, hopefully things get improved, and there will be some some obvious improvements, vaccinations, and, you know, a slow rollout back to normalcy naturally in 2021 which will make it feel like a good year but just a, just a reminder that like hey you want some things to improve in your life you also have to put a little bit of work into it yeah <laughs> and, and it, i mean it's a good reminder that it's not as if yeah th- things aren't going back to normal tomorrow right because it says january 1st on the calendar but it, it is just kind of it has set up that we're in the stage of this pandemic where we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and it also just happens to coincide with new year so from that yeah. perspective it it it's a good opportunity to, as you said, Katie, close the book on 2020 and say, okay, look, we can see theoretically things should improve a lot in 2021, and we can celebrate that tonight. I uh, don't Brian Burke, say sorry, that. go ahead, Katie. 
All I was going to say is I'm nervous to say this, but it's not like it can get any worse, right? I mean, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. It can always get worse. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I take it, it can always get worse. <laughs> uh, uh, Brian Burke coming up in about 15 minutes here on the starting lineup. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, Zidane Chara signing in Washington and, of course, leaving Boston. And also a couple other things, including uh, the World Juniors and, and how that tournament is viewed from general managers uh, obviously a, a lot of drafted players already but uh, what stock you can take away from it a lot of people excited about Vasily Podkolzin and Harvard Kostmer for last night when the Russia and Sweden game but also want to touch on you know, what a different training camp this is going to be uh, for the 31 NHL teams Vancouver Canucks announcing their roster yesterday 42 players announced if, uh, if I've uh, made my calculations correctly they'll be joining uh, Canucks training camp on Sunday. We'll hear from Jim Benning and Travis Green for the first time uh, on Sunday as well. And so it's just a lot of speculating of you know who's going to win camp battles, all that sort of stuff. But the new element that comes in this year is this taxi squad. And the AHL announcing yesterday that hey, February 5th is their intended start date. And it kind of changes the elements in the, in the equation for teams like the Vancouver Canucks that you can say, hey, we didn't have this development path for some of our young players like a Jack Rathbone or a Nils Hoglander. We don't need to shoe the horn them into a taxi squad. Is it beneficial to just send them down to the AHL and they can get their games that way? I'm curious how you guys feel, Katie and, and Jamie. Well, it is it is definitely interesting because I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. And I think hindsight is going to be a big one in this, especially for, like you said, the Canucks, whose AHL team is in the States. But the one big question that I have, obviously, with a bunch of the holes um, that need to be filled, the one big one, though, with the taxi squad is Michael DiPietro, because I've gone back and forth in my mind about that one so much. It's just it's one of those situations where what's going to be more beneficial for a him and his development and then be the team right now not just looking at his development over time but his his time right now is it more beneficial for him to be on the taxi squad spending that time with ian clark spending time with the team or whichever or to be playing those meaningful minutes in the ahl that's a question like guys is there a right answer to that well it's i mean my inclination is always to say get the prospects actual playing time that that's going to outweigh the value of being around an NHL team. I think I think the interesting wrinkle with this is okay, it's great that the AHL has come out and said we're going to start playing on February 5th. I mean, look, we all know plans can change in a hurry. That that's still theoretical yes. and even if they start, the thing I would be worried about is even if they start on time and they play, you know, two weeks of games, I mean, they could easily have to suspend the season or or, or certain teams could have to suspend the mm -hmm. season. And then you could be in a, in a situation where all of a sudden the prospects that you thought would be getting regular playing time are are, are on the shelf again. And you don't have yeah. access to them in, mm -hmm. in a daily situation like you would in a taxi squad. So the AHL plan, it changes the calculation, but I still have just this lingering worry in the back of my head. I mean, how many start dates, proposed start dates have we seen from junior leagues, right, over the last right. few months? And yeah. they've all come and gone and, and nothing's happened. There's reasons to think that won't be the case with the AHL, but it's a possibility, and, and that concerns me. If if you're looking at this and saying, okay, I know we can get our top prospects regular playing time in the AHL, that's where they're going, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. And, and to think, like, here we are December 31st. Uh, we're 
creeping up pretty close. It's two weeks today. Uh, the NHL season will oh. get underway, right? And, and it's crazy to think that like a lot can change from now and and January thirteenth. And tomorrow, it, it, yeah, it, it really can. Yeah, you're right. Just tomorrow, it, it really can. That the outlook for this scenario can completely be altered by yeah another pushback and a start date, or just like what if someone just shows up in camp? Like what? Like there is a scenario. Niels Hoglander shows up at camp and and just blows everyone away. And and this idea of hey, we got to put him in the AHL gets is completely moot because he just shows that he should play in the NHL. Like that, well, that scenario exists. It's unlikely, yeah. but it exists. It's unlikely, but that's what Jamie and I talked about earlier in the week is a player like that is so interesting because there's a lot of guys that are heading into camp completely cold that haven't been playing meaningful hockey. And then you do have someone like Hoglander where the nature of the circumstances this exact season where he's been playing over in Sweden, his opportunity for a player like that has never been more visible. 650-650 on to the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want to get your thoughts in, it's Bick Nazar and Katie Caldwell and Jamie Dodd. Wrapping up your 2020, we'll touch on some of the biggest stories throughout the course of the year. If you got your big stories, your favorite sports stories of 2020, you can always chime in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Next, uh, we get real with Brian Burke. A lot happening in the NHL as we get to the lead-up towards training camp, which gets started this weekend across the league. Uh, we'll touch on that. Uh, Zdeno Chara and what the World Juniors performances mean for a franchise with Brian Burke, the author of Berkey's Law, come up here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Let the music roll. This is classic. It's Vic Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd on the starting lineup. Filling in for James and Perry Solkowski. Wrap it up 2020 in style. Yeah, there's your DJ Airhorn. Feeling good. We're, 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 we're. You know, it's not quite New Year's Eve until you hear that air horn, right? It, it feels like my younger days, being at a club, it's like, all right. Get one hour closer to midnight. You know what I really miss from New Year's is remember in uh, like I guess we would call it the aughts, but the two the first decade of the two thousands, there was those like novelty glasses that on one oh, side it was the yeah. two and then it was the zero zero and whatever number it was turning. Those were great, and I remember when it was the last year when it was like New Year's Eve going into two thousand nine. I remember being so sad that this was going to be the last year of those glasses. Because we were, we were losing I, the two zeros in the middle. I saw some last year. They had just been recalibrated with the 2020. No. But they were just slightly moved over. But no, yeah, those it doesn't, obviously weren't the best. It doesn't work. It doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't work. And we saw uh, it didn't work. Some uh, breaking news here. Chris, do we have a, a breaking news sounder? I thought we did. <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news. There we go. <laughs> Uh, the St. Louis Blues announcing a one-year deal with Vince Dunn, uh, $1.875 million. Of course, everyone remembers Vince Dunn from the St. Louis Canucks series, uh, flailing at Bo Horvat. Uh, and uh, congratulations to Vince Dunn for cashing in for $1.875 million. But he, he's among these these RFA guys, Barzell, 
uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Strom, uh, a bunch of guys, and and Jack Rostovich, who we heard, uh, you know, looking for a trade out of Winnipeg. But it's now that we're getting to the last couple of days before training camp, and we'll touch on this with Brian Burke coming up in a second. It's just like expect a bit more of a flurry of these transactions coming down to wrap up the the RFAs and the last few free agents as well. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's too too many of these guys left, and it's crazy. It's already Thursday, and and I think some of the training camps are already underway as of today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just wild that it's dwindling pretty quickly. But yeah, Sunday will be here before we know it, Vic and Jamie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 650-650, if you want to get involved in any conversation, a lot of talk today about Vasily Podkolzin and Arvid Kostomer as well for their performance last night in the World Juniors. Let's uh, get into it with uh, Brian Burke, who joins us on the line now. Longtime NHL executive, uh, NHL analyst for Sportsnet here, and also the author of Burke's Law, which you can pick up. I hope you got it under your Christmas tree if you haven't. Uh, give someone a late Christmas gift as well. Uh, Brian, how are you today on this New Year's Eve? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we've been talking a lot about last night's game with the Sweden and Russian, obviously the Canucks aspect of it with but Colson and Kostmer. I'm just curious, you know, your time and, and just generally speaking, how do general managers view this tournament, uh, the World Juniors, as far as players that have already been drafted? It's great to look at U18 guys, but... What do you take away from this tournament? Is there much to even take away from it? Because it is such a short run. Well, there is. Any best-on-best tournament is what we want to watch. So all the other playoffs in the CHL, they're important. So if uh, Kamloops is playing Tri-City in the playoffs, that's important. It's an elevated stage. It's a playoff stage, but it's not a best-on-best. And best-on-best is what we want to watch most. And, of course, this tournament is dominated by 19-year-olds. And uh, and the Canucks two players have, have played uh, well. Pod Coles and he looks like he's ready to play right now. For years, Brian, we've seen people either overvalue a player based on their performance in the juniors, or completely write them off. What's an appropriate timeline to panic on a prospect? Well, I think you look at I think the, the Russian goal is a good example. He's the guy that got yanked twice last year as as an eighteen year old. And now he's just a star in this tournament, the star off. And uh, I think he, players develop at different paces. And some guys that don't do well on the big stage, sometimes you look at, okay, this guy had a, had a poor tournament. Well, his team might have had a poor tournament too. Or maybe there's poor goaltender. Maybe he had a nagging injury no one knew about. So I've never panicked about a guy that had a bad tournament. But it's certainly, you'd much rather a guy have a good tournament, like, you look at what Raymond and, and Holtz are doing for the Swedes. You look at what Pod Colson's doing for the Russians. And you'd be excited if you had the draft rights to that player. Is there a timeline, I guess, even after this tournament? Because heading into this, for Canucks fans, a lot of people were concerned, wrongfully, I admit, but wrong, they were concerned about where Pod Colson's development has gone over the past uh, 18 months. And he's, he's, cool, he's relieved a lot of people's stresses. But you know, what is the timeline for you when it's time to cash in on a prospect and say, you know what, we may have made a mistake here. If we can move him into a better scenario, uh, it just isn't working here. Is there a time when you look at it and say, is it is it two years in after the draft, three years in? What what steps need to occur for you to to cut bait on a prospect? 
Well, it depends on where you draft him and where he plays. So if you draft a guy in the sixth round and he goes to Boston College, you've got four years to decide on him. So there's no hurry. If he goes to the Central or the Canadian Hockey League, or if he goes to, you know, the, say the Giants, for example, then you've got a shorter time frame to decide on him. And you're more likely to sign a higher pick and make sure that you're not making a mistake than you are to lose a, a fifth or sixth rounder that might hang on somewhere. So I think it varies with the pick and where he's playing and what he's done. Um, and we're, you know, if he's a high pick, we tend to sign our high picks because we want, we want to make sure we're not wrong. And Brian, just before we we move off the World Juniors, you know we're we're getting into the meat of the tournament now. Great game last night. Some more exciting games on the schedule tonight. But you know, in the early parts of the tournament, when we see these lopsided matches, there's always this talk about, oh, should we change the format? Should we should we split up the teams into more competitive groups? But you know, I heard you mention this a little bit on Hockey Central yesterday. Do we underrate the value and the importance of this tournament for the small teams like Germany and Switzerland, even when they're on the wrong side of these lopsided scores? Yeah, I, I think we do. And, and I, I, I said this, I was at the World Championships, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I was involved with the management team with Team USA. And Franz Reindl was there, who's head of the German Ice Hockey Federation at the time, a wonderful man. And I said to him, this has got to be tough on you. They were getting spanked every night. And he said, tough on us. He said, we're thrilled to be here. The revenue it brings our country, the, the prestige, the, the, you know, the, the marquee aspect of being in the top pool, that's invaluable to us to get more players to play the game and develop players. And he said, and we will get better. And now look what they did last night. Yeah, 100%. I just feel like that gets lost in a tournament like this where – it's it's junior players, right? This is ultimately about development of prospects and the opportunity this this tournament provides for countries like that to see this incremental progression. It just sometimes we we just lose it, and it's a great point that you're talking about the how these teams grow and how sorry. How yeah, these and, and by the grow. way, and by the way, Germany was nowhere on the international map ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Now they got players, first rounders, high first rounders, second overall pick. Uh, last year, seventh overall, I think, to Detroit, Cider. Uh, uh, what's his name? Paderkin. They, they've, they've got all of a sudden, they've got high draft picks. You know why? Because they stuck with it with the program. And the Swiss, who were never a really good nation in hockey, all of a sudden have lots of high draft picks because they stuck with the program. So to me, I don't like watching a 16 nothing game. I mean, that's that, no one likes that. But I think it's really hard to tell your team to take your foot off the gas in a short tournament, especially where they had virtually no practice time together. And it's, it's 2020 guys. So let's, let's move on. It's everything that after March 13th of this year, nothing good happened. Isn't that so true? Well, except the Canucks uh, playoff run that we talked about earlier. So let's shift uh, gears to the Canucks. A lot of questions heading into the training camp this season. A lot of opportunity available to take advantage of, especially for a lot of those younger players what do you expect to see in a training camp like this? Well, I think the, 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 talking to people around the league, and I'm a Jim Benning fan, uh, talking to people around the league, the prospect pipeline for the Canucks is, is good. Todd Colson's going to play right away in my estimation. Uh, and they've got a, a, a real high top-end explosive dynamic group in the top you know, five or six forwards. They've got star power there that in the playoffs look like star power. Uh, they've got a lot going. I think the depth is the biggest question on defense and at forward. Uh, 
Uh, and then they're betting on the young goaltender, Demko. Uh, they brought in Holpe, who is a real confident goaltender, but I think they're hoping if they can get even 80% out of Demko of what he showed against Vegas last year, that they'll be good with the two goalies they have. Uh, but I think people look at their team and compare them to other teams and say, really, they're, they're bottom six, really. There's not much offense there. There's not much of a threat there. But they've got stars that can beat you every night. You know, that's the, that's the key thing about and the fun thing about watching this team. They've got star power, which is, you know, Elias Pettersson. I'll stay up and watch him any night. Well, and you said five or six in the top two lines. So that's the big burning question in Vancouver right now. Who do you see being the best option for that final top six spot on that right wing of the second line? Uh, to me, I'm a big, well, I know that people have mixed emotions on him in Vancouver, which is true on everything. Um, I think Jake Vertanen's probably in the best spot. I know he's he's tested them for reliability and consistency, but I think he's in the best position to grab it if he wants it. Um, he's got to get more serious about the game. But he's a good kid, and as I used to say about Nazem Kadri, when our guys are like, oh, God, Nazem's never going to figure it out. It's like, guys, he's worth a lot of trouble. Let's stick with it with this guy. He's worth a lot of trouble, and I think Jake's worth a lot of trouble. And Brian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned questions about the depth on defense for the Canucks as well. And I know I know here in Vancouver, that's been a, a hot topic of conversation the last few days about whether the team should go out and bring in a, a veteran defenseman like Travis, Travis Hamannick to kind of shore things up on the blue line. H- how difficult a decision is that to make as a general manager when you have young players that you've drafted and you've developed and you can kind of go two ways. You can bet on the young players stepping up and fill those holes or you can go in and bring a veteran. What goes into a decision like that going into training camp? Well, I know they're they're they think a couple of their guys are ready, um, and I think they're counting on that. And that's what I think you have to do. We used to try to leave one spot open at forward and one spot open at defense going into training camp, so to give a kid a legitimate chance or to have a spot for a waiver claim coming out of camp. And they think that their couple of their kids are ready. There's only one way to find out. Sometimes you just got to throw them in the pool and see if they can swim. And it's a real hard learning curve, but then you've got the waiver draft. You've got, uh, not the waiver draft, sorry, waivers. We used to have a waiver draft. I'm showing my age. You've got waivers. You've got, uh, there's a lot of still, a lot of guys going in on pro tryout agreements, PTOs. Um, So to me, um, I think you could give those kids a chance and wait and not sacrifice a good start to the season. You could look at a couple kids. And see, and then you can spell with veterans. There's a lot of veterans out of work right now. Brian Burke joining us, a longtime NHL executive, also the author of Burke's Law, which you can now purchase here on the starting lineup. Uh, you, know, you mentioned just perhaps a, a lack of depth for, uh, on the Canucks blue line. One of the things I've been harping on is it feels like people are overlooking how certain players on this team can even take another step, the Pedersons and the Hughes of the world. When you're off-season planning, how do you plan for that internal growth coming from within your team? Well, I think you have to count on a certain amount of it. I mean, Elias Pedersen, I'm told, is really bulked up. I heard he looks great. Gained more than 10 pounds. And that's what I think people realize about this pause is it wasn't lost time. Like the players didn't sit home and watch CNN. They used the time in the gym and on individual skill work. And so we saw the difference between the pause in March 
And when we started producing our draft show, we had players that gained 20 pounds in that time from March to October, 20 pounds on an 18 year old, other kids, 15, 14, 13, all gym weight, all good weight. These guys did not waste that time. So to me, I think the fact that they've been off for a while uh, isn't the end of the world. They've all used it, not all, but most of them have used the time wisely. And I think you have to count on some internal improvement. I think you're entitled to count on or rely on it. Now, the issue becomes, for example, I had Nikolai Kuhlman with the Leafs. He had 27 goals one year. And we're like, finally, he's going to be a 30-goal scorer. We paid him like a 30-goal scorer. And I think the highest he ever got after that was 12. So we counted on some internal improvements. Sometimes you're disappointed, but generally speaking, players intend to improve in their pro career. So one more question here for you, Brian. There was a big move yesterday that shocked a lot of the hockey world with Zdeno Chara going to the Washington Capitals. What are your thoughts about this, both for Zdeno and uh, the Boston Bruins? Well, I was as shocked as anybody. And I think that people would have to realize what a gut-wrenching decision this was for the Boston Bruins. Because people I know know Zdeno Chara as a player, but I know him as a person. Like, he's the driver. He drives that whole dressing room. He's a captain. He's a leader. He's a wonderful human being. Like, he brought some intangibles to that room that would be very hard to replace. But folks in Vancouver will remember, we moved on from a great player once when I was there named Mark Messier. And I know people look back on that era as a, as a dark era, but it wasn't Mess's fault. And so to me, you know, there comes a time where you tell a player, look, we, we've got to move on. And with a player of that magnitude and that quality, that would be a gut-wrenching, sleep-losing decision. It would be incredibly difficult. But I was still shocked. I thought there's some way they get, they got to work this out and bring him back. So I think the Washington Capitals got a great asset. He's not a top-four defenseman anymore. This will be a, a bottom-pairing defenseman, but he's an elite penalty killer. And the presence he brings into a room is staggering. Like it, it's, I'm not sure I've seen a player in my time in pro hockey that commanded a room like, like Z commands a room. Uh, I was I was trying to just kind of go through some some old transactions that you, that you've been a part of. I'm trying to think of guys that maybe fit the mold, and and we got to speak to Scott Niedermeyer yesterday here on the on the morning show. At least these guys did. I, I'm trying to think is is that the the closest comparable of a guy that you brought in to to be that that leadership aspect uh, and, and just have that presence in the room. Uh, no, we brought Scotty in to be a star, and Scotty's uh, he was a star defenseman at that time. And and one you know for the Con Smythe when we won the cup, I mean, he was still very much in his prime. So that's not a great example, but I think it's a good example in terms of the quality of the person that we brought in too. Scott Niedermeyer right. was a, just a great teammate. Uh, he is Brian Burke. You can catch him on Sportsnet uh, all throughout the, the network on, on any three of the radio stations and television. Plus, uh, the author of Burke's Law. Uh, which you can find at your local bookstores. Uh, Brian, happy new year to you. I hope it's very safe and hope it's very healthy. And I uh, will talk to you in the new year. Thanks very much. And everyone listening, happy new year. I hope 2021 is going to be better. In fact, I know it is. I uh, appreciate it. That is uh, Brian Burke. Uh, again, you can catch him on Sportsnet all throughout the platforms. And also, uh, Berkey. Uh, actually, what is his Twitter handle? Berkey2020? 2020, yes. yes. Un- unverified, I believe. But it is, in fact, him. <laughs> is it really unverified? I think it is, yeah. 
no, no, it, it's it's now been verified. Okay, I think for the, you're right. I think it did used to be, for the longest but, time. Uh, it was unverified. It was like, is this a parody account or is this who am I following here? <laughs> no, he's he's on brand now uh, with the blue check mark, so you can follow him uh, at 2020. Does he have to change that to, to 2021 now? And just every year for the rest of time. <laughs> I feel like yeah, it's only gonna get re-verified every year. Maybe it's a reference <laughs> to like eyesight or something, not the year. Right. That's a really we, good point. we just right. had him on. We could have asked him about this. <laughs> we'll about that on, on on another day. But you know, look, he said some good stuff there just on on that progression of a player mm-hmm. internally when you when you've got certain guys. And it's it's a great reference point that he mentions like Nikolai Kuleman, who look like had a career, um, wouldn't necessarily look at a guy like that and say, I'm trying to build a program around him or anything like that. But when you're when when you're talking about star level players, like I, I will bet on Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes taking massive growth than I would on the example he used of of Nikolai Kuleman. Well, right? that- like so, sometimes you step in it and not investing in elite level talent. That's um, it's such an interesting example because just pulling up Nikolai Kuleman's you know hockey DB. He is a second round pick, so you're excited about him. He's young still. He he's in his early twenties. In in 2010, he scores 16 goals in 78 games, and then he breaks out the next year. 30 goals in 82 games. You're thrilled, you're excited. The next season, 70 games, seven goals, dropping from 30 all the way down to seven. Like the the discussions in that. Maple Leafs, uh, you know, front office must have just they must have been pulling their hairs out with frustration over that. And look, it's it's a fair question because he scores that 30 goals in, in, at age 24. Right? And this is one of my concerns now when we're talking about someone like Vertanen. I'm not comparing Vertanen to Kuhlman. I'm just saying just by example here. like Jake Vertanen's breakout season comes at age 23 and it's 18 goals. This is my concern. Is that breakout or is that his career career year? year yeah, and, and and I think like go back to Kuhlman, thirty goals. It's like Toronto Maple Leafs are like breakout year. This is gonna be awesome. Let's let's build a second line out of this guy, and that was his career year. And like, I think far he, and away his career year. One one thing that's hard for a lot of fans, I think, to really internalize is the idea that players players can have a career year at age twenty two, twenty three. You know, we always think. Mm-hmm. We're kind of behind the times in a lot of ways. I think when we look at a player's prime as being, you know, 26, 27, 28, players are peaking, especially offensively, earlier than they ever have before in the NHL. It is very common for a player's best goal or point-producing season to be at age 23. That doesn't mean it's a guarantee that it happens for Jake Vertanen, but if you're kind of trying to just play the smart money, that might be the safest bet that we've seen, we've already seen his best goal-producing season. Again, not a guarantee, but it's a very real possibility. Okay, it, like it's a different sport. Saying, Sorry, go ahead, Katie. Oh, I was just going to wrap that up with Jake saying, I really liked what he said about Jake saying that he was worth the trouble. That whole point was really interesting. Yeah. And then the comparison to Kadri, I thought was really good. I, I, I just got a funny text from... Uh, someone this week, and, and it's it, it just a reminder of how difficult it is to be successful in pro sports. And not that the texture was wrong, it just it, it made me think. So what this text said is, do you think Chase Claypool? Look, and it, it's a different sport, but I just want to talk about the idea of breakout and career seasons. It's do you think Chase Claypool will have another twelve touchdown season? Or uh, sorry, he's at uh, ten right now. 
do you think he'll have another 10 touchdown season? And my immediate reaction was like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I thought, oh man, 10 touchdowns was a lot of touchdowns. It, it's really like, hard to have 10 touchdowns in a season. That's a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. And, then just, and, and, and then just having the conversation with this person, it led to, it's like, okay, well, do you think Patrick Mahomes will have another 50 touchdown season? And look, Patrick Mahomes did that in his first season starting. And at the same time, like 50 touchdowns is crazy amount. And it's so hard to get there. And he might not ever get there. And that would be his best season ever. His first season would be his best statistical season ever. I still feel like he's almost on his own planet that he doesn't sure. start comparing to other players. But with with Claypool, you're absolutely right. It can go either way. And there's so many different factors that go into it, too, especially with him being in a situation with Big Ben, where yeah. obviously as a receiver, so much of your production relies on your quarterback. So yeah, there are a lot of questions surrounding it, but it's an interesting conversation. Cause yeah, my initial reaction was, of course, he's only going to go up from here, but you're right. It doesn't always go that way. Does it? It's the same thing with this Nikolai Kuluman, which is a great example. And that Virginia, it's like 18 goals. That's awesome. Is it going to get better? Or is that his career year? It's a question that's going to be posed to, uh, I, I'm sure Jim Benning and Travis green. When Canucks training camp opens up on Sunday, they will meet with the media. It, it, it's, a lot of questions facing the team. Travis Green's status uh, heading into that, and you know, just where he stands contractually with the franchise is going to be one of the first questions asked of him come Sunday. But also, just where is this team? What's the opportunity provided to guys like Vertanen? And you know, Burke, you mentioned it. it's like, oh, we always left one spot open for for kids. Well. All eyes are on a guy like Nils Hoglander. It all starts on Sunday mm-hmm. for the Vancouver Canucks. Pick Nazar, Katie Caldwell, Jamie Dodd here on the home of the Canucks. Uh, Going to get into some more stories that have happened in 2020. If you got thoughts on put Coles in, Cosmer from last night, set them in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Just a reminder, this hour of the starting lineup brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. More on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. See, I knew it was coming. I was just like, look, this is my anthem. I'll, I'll, I'll wait it out a bit. I'll wait for the good part. And then uh, Chris Faber jumping in with the uh, the air horn there. Amazing. Here we are. This is yeah. This is this is a banger song right here. Um, hey so, Chris, uh, hold on, hold on. Before before we move on from uh, from party in the USA here, I got to. Uh, there, uh, you can find it on YouTube. There's a, a mashup of this and uh, the Party and BS track, uh, which is, of course, not the real name, but I can't say the real name, but Party and BS by Notorious B.I.G. There is a fantastic Ooh. mashup of these two songs on YouTube. It's uh, it's Biggie rapping, and then Miley Cyrus comes in with the chorus. It's, uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go, go search it out. What well, a better song to ring in a new year with. Really? Yeah, though. for sure. Uh, Chris, what's going on here? You said it's Throwback Thursday, and you played a song from like the late two thousands. 
See, it feels like you I, broke your own rule here, Chris. <laughs> I wanted to play a song from 2005 since that's the year that I called out, but this is, yeah, a little bit of a later one. Um, you know, I wanted to mix it like up a little 2008, bit. 2008, 2009? Ooh. No, no idea. Yeah, I would go around there. I feel like I was partying in grade 10 of this song. I, you're, I'm lucky if I can name the decade a song came out at this point, let alone the specific year. That's Jamie. That's so sad. Come on, you got to do better than that. I, I absolutely at, will at, not do at better least than narrow that. It down, at least narrow it down to like four years. Here's how it is. <laughs> there is there's things that came out when I was in high school. There's things that came out when I was in college, and there's everything after that. That's basically how it works at this point. <laughs> also, it was 2009, guys. Uh, nailed it. Yeah, because I, I just started working in radio, and that song had come out. And uh, see, look, there's my time capsule. I hear that song, and I was like, oh, I, I can place that to an era of my life. It doesn't have to be as definitive as after college or after high school, Jamie. Oh, while I'm just we're saying- speaking of eras of our life, I have a question for you guys. Let's go. So the Sweden streak, we haven't talked about this yet, that was snapped last night. That was over 5,000 days. So the last time in that tournament they lost was New Year's Eve 2006. Where were you guys New Year's Eve 2006? I um, I can't say with certainty, but I can almost for certain, almost for 100% that I was at a, uh, a house party somewhere in North Vancouver. That, that I can pretty much guarantee you that. I can't say specifically, but that's my guess. I, 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 that's so specific. I, I didn't mean on the actual night. I just meant your life, but that's oh. so much better. <laughs> well, you said, where were you on New Year's Eve? Oh, no. So I would never remember that. But just like, it's that it's just such a funny time to look back at. Like, I had just graduated from high school. That's how long ago that was. Brag. And I'm old. I, w- I was uh, in, so I was, uh, I was, I was in university. From high school. I think I was probably in a, I was, I was just working retail. I had no sense. I had no path in life. I was just working retail. <laughs> that was my whole that was my whole day today, man. Uh, hey, Vic, I, I, we've we've learned this year the important jobs out there. There is absolutely nothing wrong with retail. No, 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 absolutely. I I love that retail job. Even to this day, I would say my favorite job I've ever had, uh, present job included. Uh, wow, <laughs> just just walk out of the show right now, why don't you, man? <laughs> yeah, keep digging, Vic. Come on. No, uh, look, I, I was boy, I, but I was, I was trying to think. Boy. I don't think I had any other purpose in my life at the time. I don't think I was going to school in in two thousand six. Um, I think I was just uh, just doing my day to day retail thing and then uh, partying in the USA at night. That was my uh, that was my life in 06. There is that's um... what we should use as a metric is the last time Sweden lost in that tournament. Party in the USA hadn't even come out yet. <laughs> oh, <a> terrible metric. <laughs> terrible metric. Everything in my life now revolves around that metric. Uh, it's Big Desire, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd here on the starting lineup uh, as we get closer to the end of 2020. One of the things we want to do today is touch on the biggest sports stories of 2020. Uh, and I see a lot of texts coming in in reaction to Brian Burke. Keep those texts coming in. Uh, 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll touch on those uh, on the other side of the break here. Just a reminder, this hour is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus Street in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. Um, th- this year has been so strange because with the, the stoppages, with uh, the pandemic, and so many things have happened in this year. It's kind of dominated sports. But, you know, Katie, you touched on it earlier, and the Canucks kind of being a part of it. But the Black Lives Matter protests across the sports, you know, we, we've seen it in the WNBA for years. 
and we, we saw it this year happen in the NBA and then the NHL uh, with their stoppages. Uh, it, to me, it's probably the most impactful story this year. I think there's a couple of other big ones, Sarah Fuller and Kim Ng getting hired. But as far as like a collective movement to solve some of the society's biggest issues, right? Sexism, racism, these two, uh, the, this story in particular, the, the BLM protest, is probably the most dominant story of 2020. You're right. And and they're kind of apples and oranges, how you brought up Sarah Fuller and Kimming, because those are amazing and historical, but those are more, yeah. they're, they're a starting off point. And we've already seen a pretty cool trickle effect. Like, look at the game last night with Popovich getting ejected. And yep. there's all of a sudden a female coaching an NBA team. Like, it's really cool. This has been such a big year for women, especially women in and out of sports. But the Black Lives Matter protest has, I'm hoping anyways, that it's leading to full societal change that is ongoing and and i guess they're not really apples and oranges but it was just so much of a of a big piece of our society that so many of us were involved in in our personal lives with having conversations that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have with our friends with our family asking ourselves these questions and i i don't like to use the stereotypical term listening and learning but essentially that's what it, what it's been yeah. and yeah like we talked about we touched on it with the canucks it was really really cool to see them be a big part of that conversation for was it besser or horvat sorry i can't remember that, that approached, yeah that approached reeves and it i just it's just really cool if you're a fan of a certain team to see them be a part of the conversation when you realize in that moment that sports aren't what matters it um it's the you know there have been a lot of these moments in 2020 where you, you take a step back and you say if I could go back in time a year or six months or whatever and try to explain what's happening to my past self it would make no sense whatsoever mm -hmm. and from a sports perspective the trying to explain that okay the NBA the NHL the WNBA the Major League Soccer NWSL all of these sports leagues were going to you know on a purely grassroots basis player driven basis stop their playoffs in most cases and just say, no, we're not playing for, for an issue that is completely outside of the sports realm in a lot of ways, right? That is a real life mm -hmm. serious issue that we're going to stand up and say, we're not playing these playoff games because this is so important. I mean, I think even in 2019, when yes, a lot of these same issues were on the radar, but not to the, to the same extent, that would have been impossible to imagine. And we saw it, we saw, NHL players stand shoulder to shoulder while they were in the midst of a, a fierce playoff series against each other and talk about these issues. And I, you know, it was such a big deal at the time. I know here at the station, I mean, we had to cover it wall to wall for basically two days while it was happening, but it does feel like it's fallen off the front pages a little bit here. And I think it's just important to kind of look back and think that's an incredibly big deal. And you know, I, I, there's always a temptation with these things when they when they happen in the moment and you think sweeping change is imminent and you're really excited. I think there can be a little bit of frustration and impatience when it doesn't happen immediately. And I get that. But I, I do think there's, um, you know, these kind of things happen in ebbs and flows. And that's not going to be the last example of this player power and player awareness that we see. Just because we haven't seen maybe significant developments since then in, in the ways we'd like doesn't mean those aren't coming, right? And that's not the kind of thing that just goes away. When players realize they have that kind of power and they're willing to exercise that kind of power, we're going to keep seeing that. And, 
you know, take everything that happened in sports, off sports in 2020. That, to me, is the most significant develop, development going forward, that the players across sports realized if we stand together, we can do some really previously unthinkable things for in a good way. I completely agree. And it feels like if there is one thing, because you're right, Jamie, I think that a lot of these conversations, we do need to keep that energy going into 2021. It's so, so important because it seems like now that we recognize how how awful the the basically the shut up and dribble argument was now that we've gone past that we can't ever go back to that we need to be in a situation where we're encouraging players to use their voices because we recognize more than ever that they're people first and athletes second and that was a big thing that we saw this year where yeah Bic you nailed it where it's a playoff situation and it's still more important to go for the social justice side, which it was, it was more important because there were moments that all of us are sitting there thinking like, this, this just doesn't feel right right now with everything that's happening in the world. But it all just was so, so powerful and so important. But my one wish is that it does, that energy does trickle over from 2021 and moving forward, that we never go back from that. Oh, 100%. I think, like Jamie and I had talked about this, that we need to find a way to integrate these conversations together and not just have it be sports or social justice, but they can exist in a similar world. Yeah, and look, you're absolutely right. I said this when when everything happened, you know, post George Floyd and then post uh, Jacob Blake and, and when these protests or the sports was shut down in those moments. I said, I hope everyone appreciates the exhaustive nature of this. Of, mm-hmm. look, the energy is here right now, but like... Nobody is solving anything in two weeks. This is going to take years, if not a decade. But the fact that everyone's cognizant of it, perhaps that accelerates a timeline. And mm-hmm. with all of this happening, you have to remember it's done in the backdrop of a pandemic, right? Like there were protests of people in the streets of yeah. doing this despite it being a pandemic because of this is how important this was. And I feel like some of that energy waned because, look, it's a pandemic. It, it, it's understandable for people to say, you know what, I can't go out right now. I can't do this. I can't feature as heavily as I want to keep, keep moving the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so part of my initial optimism has has waned over like, hey, we're going to solve this issue faster than I ever thought before. And I'm trying not to get frustrated by that because that energy has decreased. It, it, you can't deny it. it. It absolutely has. And I, I part of it, I, I'm chalking it up to just pandemic fatigue as well for everyone and the the stress that causes as much as we've seen progress i do think it's it's stagnated a bit and we've even seen it with like the hockey diversity alliance and and how they've interacted with the nhl right it probably hasn't gone as swimmingly as the hda has probably wanted it to as as much as you want to be partners with the nhl and all that they're going to be able to do what they want to do, but you, you'd understand you get a lot more support coming from the league. If this was a joint initiative and it's kind of, Part and parcel, probably why they wanted to be mm-hmm. separate entities away from the NHL. But just just going back to it, I I would hope one of the biggest thing is thanks to the realization, a lot of players' eyes getting open in the NHL. That once we get through these these work stoppages and this pandemic life, this is a charge that gets taken up again. Well, and it's been on us too. I feel like there's been a big shift in media this year where a lot of us are using our voices more, where we're recognizing that we're also people and we're entitled to our opinions on our different platforms. And I remember the moment when Kelly Rudy, followed by Christine Simpson, mm-hmm. um, on that, that hockey broadcast had said, I don't feel right being here. And that's just something that I don't think that would have happened in different circumstances because you worry, oh, could I lose my job? How will people think? And it, it's shifted where I think a lot of us are understanding the responsibility that 
we're part of the ones that need to keep that conversation going. So I've really appreciated that shift in a lot of us in the media across North America using our voices in different ways. And I think to a bit to your point, Bic, where the energy has waned, I think one of the big challenges going forward is, you know, let's not wait for the next tragic situation where for the next sure. for yep. the next black person to be to be killed by the police let's not wait until then to have these conversations like we need to find a way yep. to integrate them in a in a proactive way right where we're talking about it even when it's not the top headline story you know worldwide and look that's a challenge that's a challenge for me that's something i can improve on for sure and i think everyone everyone who is you know, in good faith, trying to be part of the solution. That's something we all deal with and we all try to tackle. And I think that's the next part of the equation, right? We've seen how it can work in a reactive way. Now, how do we get it to being, you know what? We're not going to wait. We're going to deal with this just because we want to deal with it. Big Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jimmy Dodd touching on some of the biggest stories of 2020. Uh, your favorite stories, text them in 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we'll get to some of those and also a lot of Canucks thoughts coming in into our text inbox. We'll touch on those heading up to 8 o'clock and heading into the Canucks community where Brendan Batchel will join us. But your thoughts on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup. Vic Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd here on the home of the Canucks. Uh, running a bit short on time, so I wanted to get through a couple of text messages that uh, came in in response to our Brian Burke interview. And we were talking about, you know, guys who have had career years or breakout years. Uh, how much concern do you have is, you know, growth from, from the next players? And, and the guy we referenced was a guy like Jake Furtanen, who had 18 goals. And, you know, we were talking about career year, breakout year. Uh, and uh, a good text came in, unsigned, said maybe Besser has peaked. The goal scoring is down. More concerned if Besser has had his career be year because of his contract and salary, plus the amount he is supposed to be a cornerstone player. Much worse if he drops rather than Vertanen. Hey, why not talk about Tanner Pearson? He was not as good as Jake. Just about all metrics, and he had Horvat to lean on, and he costs a lot more. All valid thoughts completely coming into our 650-650 text message inbox. And I want to ask you guys, as we get set for a Canucks training camp, we'll continue this conversation on the other side in the Canucks commute with Brendan Batchelor. But heading into training camp, like who are you most concerned of? And for me, well, we briefly touched this on, on this last night on the program with me and Sat. I, I said Brock Messer. Like it, it's hmm. it's not that far. He's he's not that far away from his contract status coming up to restricted free agency again. And we know that qualifying offer is going to be seven point five million dollars, bare minimum. But I'm at a stage right now where, where Brock Besser is like, you got to show you are worth that seven that seven plus million dollars. Because my fear for him is he's I, I think he's full value for five point eight seven five, just as an overall player. But I believe that there's more to his game, and he still's got to get there. The uh, the difference for me with Brock and and Vertanen is the floor is higher for Besser because he has a much more well rounded game 
than Vertanen does, right? And so is there, it's theoretically possible that Brock Besser's had his best goal scoring season of his career, and he he's never going to get to those those heights that we all want to see him get to. That's definitely a possibility. The thing is, I think Brock Besser can be a really valuable player scoring 25 to 30 a year instead of 35 to 40 because he does enough other things well. And I, I see what you're saying, Bick. You know, he's going to get another raise, and that's the worrying factor. You know, is he going to be worth that eventual salary that he gets? But look, if Brock Besser settles from a purely on ice perspective, if Brock Besser settles in as a 25 goal guy who, you know, maybe pops for 30 occasionally. And, and plays a really solid two-way game, is good on the forecheck and all that. Okay, I like that as a player. Whereas if Jake Vertanen, if the goals don't come, there's not a lot there to prop up his value. But here's the thing with, with Brock, just really quickly, Katie. It's it, it's not as if we're projecting a raise. That raise is already built in. For sure. That's the difference. That's the difference, I think. It's like at some point, you have to become a $7.5 million player, and he's not there yet. That's the issue well, and- for me. I think it's interesting, too, that his production, it could rely on a lot of extraneous factors as well, like bringing Jake right into that. Like if Besser is able to stay up on that top line, that could be completely different as opposed mm-hmm. to if if Jake doesn't secure that spot on the second line and things are shuffled around a bit more, that does affect guys like Besser. For sure. And he, he's the type of personality and overall the type of player I would bet on because I do think he's going to extract more out of his game. But until that's confirmed... And until we see that scoring tick up, and I do think he will have a better year, until that's confirmed, he just he's not at a stage right now where we can can say definitively he's a $7.5 million player. We'll have more of that conversation coming up with Brendan Batchelor, plus more some thoughts that are coming in into the 650-650 text message inbox brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. Keep those thoughts coming in. The Canucks commute with Batch on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Godette in the slot, shoots and scores! Here's Besser in the slot with a wrist shot, tip to the side of the goal, Peterson scores again! A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. It is Vic Bazaar, it is Jamie Dodd, it is Katie Caldwell filling in for James Sabolski and Harry Sokowski here on the starting lineup, and you hear it there. It is the Canucks commute, starting uh, your last day of 2020 off in style with the uh, the fire intro there from Chris Faber, uh, who's also part of the show here, running the show uh, back at Mission Control here on, on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. We're going to hear from Brendan Batchelor in just a couple of minutes here. But I want to continue that conversation that we were just having uh, thanks to a couple of good text messages that came in. Uh, As we head into training camp, uh, who are some guys, uh, some players you two are worried about, uh, Katie and Jamie? Just, uh, you know, camp and the start of a season is always about excitement, but we've been talking a lot about growth this this morning. Who are some players that you are worried about, Katie? Uh, I'm a bit worried about Jake going into training camp. We we've seen issues there before, and this is a this is a season unlike any other where the leash on the guys is going to be shorter than ever with Travis Green because you can't afford to not show well in camp, and you can't afford to not come out blazing in the regular season because it's so short and it's condensed. And there's just like we kind of alluded to before the break, there's just such a trickle effect 
if he's not able to be that second line winger because then things are being shifted around and ideally you would like to keep Besser up on that top line and yeah it's one of those one of those situations where camp came back really quickly and you're not really sure how guys are going to show up and I would be lying if I said I wasn't a bit worried but yeah that would be my answer uh, we'll get to Jamie's in just a minute because uh, we now welcome in the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Bachelor. Batch, what's going on? How are you, man? I'm good. I'm ready for 2021. Let's put 2020 behind us. <laughs> are you okay? I, I've made a mental bet with myself to ask you this uh, when you joined us. Are you a go-to-sleep-before-midnight guy? I, uh, I'm not, no. Uh, oh I could, man, I lost I, a lot of money on that. I could I, I, why <laughs> you might think that I would be, but uh, no, I try to hang in there till at least midnight, and uh, and then maybe go to bed at like twelve oh five or something like that. I, I thought maybe you and I were kindred spirits because I'm a definitely like if, if I'm awake at eleven o'clock tonight, I'd screw something up. What really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm not a New Year's person at all. Huh. Well, even I, on twenty twenty. I will say I'm normally in bed before midnight, but on New Year's I make sure to to stay up. No, see, like I, I don't care that it's 2020. I, I I don't need to see the end of 2020. I'm not one of those people that like needs to stand on the grave of something. I, I'm just not. <laughs> I just I wake up tomorrow. It'll be 2021. It'll be fine. Everything's the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I can relate to that too for sure. And I figure you must be wanting to get your rest here because, you know, training camp's a couple of days away. Uh, we got a lot of good text messages coming in today because uh, Brian Burke said something tremendous about, you know, just banking on internal growth. And the example he used was Nikolai Kuhleman, a guy who scored 30 goals. They're all excited. And, and you can start building out, you know, your second line and thereafter. And he scored seven goals the year after. He just never got back to that stage. So when you're talking about guys that we're, we're projecting growth upon, who are some guys that you kind of have some concerns of, I don't know if they're going to reach that next level? That's an interesting one. Um, because I don't think you have worries about your core guys, right? Like Elias Patterson is still going to be Elias Patterson. You know, maybe his point per game average could dip or, or climb from season to season. He's got going to have a long career that's going to happen but generally speaking you expect him to produce you know Quinn Hughes is a defenseman that you know I think we'll continue to see growth from um so so you know the the main core guys of the team are not guys you worry about and and you know you look at a guy like Nikolai Kuhleman who was never really that that core piece um and that is maybe more of a, a a good player to use that example on. So I, I don't know if people, you know, I heard you guys talking about Jake Vertanen just before I came on. I don't know if people are banking on Jake Vertanen, you know, taking a step forward in terms of offensive production after a career year. Um, but that might not be the case. And actually, you know what, if you look at the number of Canucks who had career years offensively last season, it was quite high. Tanner Pearson had a career year. JT Miller had a career year. Jake Bertanen had a career year. So to expect all of those guys to come back and produce at the same level or greater than they did would not be realistic. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be a very interesting thing to follow with this Canucks team, especially in a short, compressed season, because 
you know, with, with every game meaning more and every game being a four-point game because they're all in the division, there's going to be so much more pressure heaped on this team from day one of the regular season. And, you know, especially with their issues with depth, um, I would imagine that a lot of pressure is put on guys high up the lineup to produce and produce consistently. And it remains to be seen whether all of them will be able to do that. And Batch, you're right. You know the conversation with Elias and Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. It's not. It's not concern. It's it's optimism. It's how much better can they get this year? That that's really the talk we're having with them. And you know, yesterday on the show we were talking about those two players and where they rank relative to their peers in the Canadian division. And with Elias Patterson, it's interesting because Elliot Friedman was on this station earlier this week, and he said, "Look, if you wanted to make the case to me that Elias Patterson is the best player in the Canadian division, I'd be willing to listen to that argument." I don't think that's the case right now, but I mean, could you see Elias Pettersson having that kind of breakout campaign where six months from now we are looking at him and saying he's the best player uh, on this side of the border? I mean, absolutely I could. Um, Just because this is a kid that, you know what, you can't set a ceiling on him based on what he's done in the NHL already, um, you know, in just a couple of years here. Um, So that that is entirely a possibility. I mean, it's also a possibility that things don't go quite as well for him this year for whatever reason, which is kind of, you know, the excitement and and sort of the anticipation we all feel about a new season starting because you don't know what to expect. And you don't know who's going to have a good year and who's going to struggle and, you know, who maybe will have an injury and who will be healthy and, and have a career year. Um, so, you know, that, that that's the exciting part of a new season is you don't know what to expect, but, I, if you said to me, you know, would would it surprise you that Elias Pettersson could be one of the top point producers in the entire entire league? No, it wouldn't surprise me because I think he's capable of that, and I think one day he will be in that conversation. Uh, whether we're talking about him as being a more impactful player than someone like Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews by the end of this season, uh, it's possible. I, you know, I, I agree he he will get there. I don't know if he'll get there right away, but at the same time. With young hockey players, sometimes these growth periods come very quickly where, um, you know, a guy from the previous season will see his production drastically increase. And, you know, it's entirely possible that that's what we'll see with Elias Pettersson. Well, we just had Brian Burke on and he was talking about Pedersen, saying how he's bulked up and gained about 10 pounds. It's it's crazy to imagine him getting better. But, yeah, you're right. I can definitely see a path for that happening. I'm, get, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the taxi squad batch. Do you see Travis Green prioritizing guys with a bit more NHL experience but may not benefit as much from time in the AHL? Or do you see him rolling the dice with some younger prospects that show really well in training camp? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I tend to think that it might be a little bit of both. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about the taxi squad is those guys will probably have to play. Not all of them, obviously, especially if you have six guys, but you know, that's the purpose of that taxi squad for this group is so they don't have to go to Utica and deal with quarantines and getting people across the border uh, and everything like that. Um, But when you're playing so many games in such a short span of time, I mean, you look at the month of February and the Canucks basically play every other day for the entire month. Um, you're going to need to to utilize that taxi squad, right? Those are guys that are going to have to play just because when you're playing that much in such a short you know, span of time, it's reasonable to expect 
injuries and, and, you know, maybe soft tissue injuries like groins or hamstrings or things like that. Um, so I think Travis Green would probably like to have a mix on that taxi squad where there are some, some young guys that they want to find out what they're capable of, but there's also, you know, a veteran presence that, that, um, you know, that, that can have that reliability factor if he has to put them in the lineup, particularly in the bottom six. And then they do also have to think about development, right? So, you know, let's say hypothetically a guy like Niels Hoaglander is not going to be on your opening night roster. And, you know, it's certainly possible that he could make the roster. I'm not trying to say I don't think he will. I'm just using him as an example. But if you're going to say that he's not on your opening night roster, then you have to decide what's better for him. Is it better for him to go to Utica and get some game action and continue to develop? Or is it better for him to stay and practice with the NHL guys and maybe get a chance to get into 15 or 20 games if you have some injuries up the lineup? So, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily know how to handle that, and that's why these guys uh, have the jobs that they do, and I have the job that I do where I just talk about it on the radio. But, um, you know, that'll be very interesting to see. Generally speaking, though, based on – what Travis Green has done in the past, I would expect it to be more veteran savvy players and for them to, you know, leave young guys that they want to continue to develop in the AHL where they can play games. Brendan Batchelor, the voice of your Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks, uh, the starting lineup, Nick Nazar, Katie Caldwell, Jamie Dodd here this morning. Uh, you know, we had Brian Burke on about an hour ago and he said he had heard that Elias Pettersson has, has bulked up, put on 10 pounds, and you know, getting ready for this upcoming season and utilizing this stoppage here, this pause, uh, to you know, add some some body weight and, and get ready and you know, not treat the off season like an off season. It's you're still working to get better. What would surprise you in a positive way of things that we see coming up into this training camp starting Sunday? Is it Pettersson bulking up? Is it? Is it someone else getting bigger? What are you looking forward to that you want to see that surprises you? I want to see someone really take ownership of the battle for a spot on the blue line because we know that there is that spot there on the third pairing with Troy Stetcher leaving. And, you know, as of yet, the Canucks haven't signed anyone in free agency to replace him. You know, whether they'll look at PTOs or, you know, whether they're able to put Furland on LTIR at some point here and free up some cap space to do something remains to be seen. But as things sit right now, there is a spot to be won on that third pairing. And whether it's Ole Levy or whether it's Jalen Chatfield or Brogan Rafferty or Jack Rathbone um, or Guillaume Brisebois or whoever it might be, I want someone to show up at camp ready to separate themselves from that group and say, you know, I am your sixth defenseman. I am the guy that you want to play on that pairing. And, you know, certainly throughout the season, as we talked about with the taxi squad, you know that it's not going to be the same guy every night because they're they're going to need to, to rotate people in because of the number of games they're going to play, just like they're going to need to play both goaltenders. But, you know, that, that to me is a, a group of young defensemen that, you know, have all sort of had a look here and there and have been in the conversation about are they ready to make the NHL uh, over the last couple of years? And now it's time that at least one of them make a, a big statement about how prepared they are to to jump into the lineup and, um, and, and be ready to be a contributor at the NHL level because assuming the Canucks don't sign anyone else, they're going to need someone 
um, to really step up and take ownership of a spot on that third pairing. Batch, just before we let you go here, how surprised are you that we're basically on the eve of training camp for the Canucks and uh, head coach Travis Green still does not have a contract extension in place? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised, uh, to be honest, because you, I mean, I'm, you know, there, there are people in the fan base that would disagree with me on this, but, you know, you look at the body of work for Travis Green and it's been excellent. Uh, to me, he's a guy that has come in and really built a culture with this group and has sort of shepherded the organization from the previous era with Daniel and Henrik Sedin into a, a new era where we now see that, you know, he's got a, a very solid core group of young players. And, you know, he's, he's helped some of his other players grow and develop too. You know, he, he's a guy that, that I think really understands young players in the NHL, both uh, you know, guys that really come in and succeed right away and also guys that, you know, maybe struggle a little bit and have to figure out how to adapt their game because he was a guy that had to figure out how to adapt his game to be successful at the NHL level. So, um, you know, to, to come as far as this group has over the last few years under Travis Green and then have him, you know, or have a potential scenario, let's say, where he could no longer be the head coach, you know, to me it doesn't make, sense at all for that to happen i'm still confident that an extension will get done i don't think we're going to be talking about late in the year travis green still being unsigned and people having to worry that you know the canucks might have to look elsewhere for a head coach next season um you know i just wonder if some of the economic factors of covid um you know which which have certainly impacted the canucks business like they have most other businesses are, are kind of you know slowing this process down a little bit um but you know the Canucks have to realize that, you know, that's going to be a big talking point and a big question that they're going to have to answer on day one of training camp. So we'll wait and see if maybe they announce something in the next couple of days or whether it, you know, is something that carries forward into the season. But, you know, as it sits right now, I would be incredibly surprised if the Canucks don't extend Travis Green, and I'd be incredibly surprised if he's not extended sometime very soon. I completely agree. And yeah, I can see people losing their patience and asking those questions because we all want to know because yeah, I can't believe that we're this far and he doesn't have a contract. But uh, Batch, all week we've been heading into camp. We've been talking expectations for the Canucks. The general consensus is that basically we could see them finishing anywhere between first or second to sixth in the North Division. What do you see the floor and ceiling being for them, especially being such a young team? Well, I, I, I tweeted this out the other day and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek but you know there's there's so many people arguing on twitter these days about you know where are the canucks going to finish and are they going to be a playoff team or not you know they're going to finish somewhere between first and seventh in the, in the canadian division which <laughs> I, like I, I i know i i i'm sitting on the fence and, and joking but um you know i i see a scenario where the canucks could win the north division i see a scenario where the canucks could be a bubble team and find a way to sneak into the playoffs in the North Division. I see a scenario where the Canucks could finish sixth in the North Division. I don't think they'll be a last-place team. Um, so that that's the, the one sort of, I guess, commitment I'll make, is I would be very surprised if the Canucks finished in seventh in the North Division at the end of the season. But really, you know, I'm very excited to get into this division because, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of parity in it. Uh, you know, just looking on paper going into the year, I kind of put the Leafs and the Flames 
in a, in the first category, and then there's a middle category where you know the the Oilers are in there, and the Jets are in there, and the Canadians are in there, and the Canucks are in that conversation too. I I tend to think that Winnipeg and you know their their issues on the back end will cause them to to drop out of that group. So you know t- to me the Canucks are battling for the final two playoff spots with the Edmonton Oilers and the Montreal Canadiens and how they're able to do, uh, you know, in relation to those teams is really going to define their season. And if they have a really good year, maybe they can push up and be one of those top two teams and, and try to get home ice advantage. And if they have injuries and struggle, maybe they fall below that group and end up in fifth or sixth. But, um, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, with the, the Pacific division, you kind of get an idea of, of where things are going to sit. Uh, with this North Division, I have no idea, and I'm incredibly excited to get into the year and, and see how it breaks down. Uh, hey, before we let you go here, really quickly, I uh, saw your tweet yesterday. Uh, so who's the Hall of Famer and who's the bust after last night's <laughs> World Juniors game? Well, you know, they both played pretty well. Um, they really uh, did. I, I really liked Arvid Kosmar's game. Uh, you know, the fact that he was able to be such a, a pest and be under – the opponent's skin and draw a few penalties and yet also contribute on the scoreboard was good. Uh, certainly it wasn't good that, uh, you know, he, he takes a critical penalty late in the game. Uh, I thought Vasily Colson was arguably the best player on the ice. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek and trying to rile up Canuck Twitter a little bit to get the juices flowing and get back going with the season starting here in, in just a few days. But, you know, there, I, I just think it's funny that, that, you know, we've been so starved for hockey here that people seem to be putting so much uh, pressure, I guess is maybe the word, or so much emphasis on how these guys produce at the World Juniors. And, and so I was sort of joking there where I said, you know, Kosmar versus Pod Colson, one will be a Hall of Famer, one will be a bust, it all gets decided tonight. Um, when the reality is, you know, you look at, at guys that didn't work out for the Canucks, like a Cody Hodson, he had a great World Juniors, whereas there have been, you know, prospects for Vancouver that haven't necessarily done as well with the World Juniors and yet have been a big part of the team. So, um, you know, as, as much as we're really enjoying this tournament and enjoying having hockey back on our screens and really wanting to see these young Canuck prospects, you know, make a stamp on the tournament so you can get excited about them, you should be excited about these guys anyway, because, you know, whether they're able to produce in a, in a game in December, in a bubble in Edmonton, or whether they're going to be long-term pieces of, of the Canucks puzzle are not necessarily connected. He is Brendan Batchelor, the voice of your Vancouver Canucks. Things get real on Sunday with the training camp underway. And uh, we're going to find out a whole lot about this team in short order. Batcha, enjoy today have uh, be safe and uh, have a happy new year man yeah and happy new year to all you guys as well and to all of our listeners and i'm really excited to get trade camp underway and we'll have it covered for you from tip to tail right here on sportsnet 650 thank you batch uh, yeah the things get going on sunday and man we are 13 days away from the start of the nhl regular season it's uh it's gonna be a lot of fun and Batch is going to be all over with uh, with Corey Hirsch as well on the broadcast. A lot to come to still today. We're going to hear from Brian Burke again, uh, who shared that little nugget of Elias Pettersson bulking up 10 pounds. That was one of the takeaways from that interview, too. That would be exciting, guys. Uh, you know, I was just asking Batch of some surprises he'd love to see in training camp. 
Uh, Elias Pettersson bulking up would be a massive surprise because I think it, it, it's it wasn't necessary because you saw how effective he was obviously in the playoffs at his size already. But if he's continually getting stronger, watch out. Yeah, Jamie and I, yesterday, we were talking about potential trophy award winners um, on the Canucks, and I dropped a hot and irresponsible take that I don't think it's out of this world that Petey wins the heart. It's, and it would it would have to be a big jump up or whichever, but what we were talking about is just every, he continues to exceed all of our expectations, and there seems to be no spotlight that's too big for him. Like, seeing him in the playoffs was just astounding, so... If you start adding on muscle to that, it's it's just crazy. And like he said, there's just he doesn't have a ceiling. It's just endless. It, it is interesting with Patterson because I don't necessarily look at him and think, you know, that's a guy who needs to get stronger, right? Because as you said, Vic, he was able to be effective playing at the weight he's at. But, you know, it can't hurt, I guess, right? I, I don't know how much <laughs> we're going to see that translate into terms of extra point production. But, you know, even if it's just a little bit more durability for the course of a, a, an extremely compact season and he's able to be closer to 100% more of the time, that's huge. For sure. Uh, we'll get to more of that and uh, hear from Brian Burke coming up here on the starting lineup. Vic Nazar and Katie Caldwell and Jamie Dodd here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Happy New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's a party today. Vic uh, Nazar, Katie Caldwell, Jamie Dodd wrapping up 2020. In style, we'll hear from Brian Burke in just a second as we spoke to him uh, just a little over an hour ago. Uh, Brian Burke, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, just some reports coming out today or just now of uh, the status of Michael Furlan. So we get set for Canucks training camp coming up on. Sunday, things get going. Jim Benning and uh, Travis Green will meet with media Sunday morning. And they released the 42-player roster yesterday. You can pretty much strike off of uh, Michael Furlan's name. It, it, was a, it was a scenario that we all expected to come to fruition, Jamie. Uh, Jim Benning on the station less than a month ago. It just didn't sound optimistic. We've seen quotes from... Uh, Furlan's agent with some good reporting from Patrick Johnston uh, as recently as, you know, fairly recently. It, just, it never felt like it was going to get off the ground this season for Michael Furlan. It, it's or the, the, at, least, at least for training camp. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where, you know, earlier in the offseason, I think there was a lot of uncertainty and there were questions, you know, which way is this going to go? Is he going to be healthy? But the longer it's gone on, and as you said, even recently, there's been there's been signs, if you've been reading them, that, the, it seems at this point to be all but a formality that he's going to go on LTIR. And, and, you know, you don't know until that officially happens, but everything that, that has happened so far, and this is just the latest example of that, points very strongly in that direction. Well, and it's a situation, too, where it's not just about hockey. It's it's about his life and his well-being outside of that for the long term. It's It's just one of those questions that you have to ask, is it worth it? And I think all of us 
like when he dropped the gloves in that game, I think a lot of us were kind of going, oh no, and cringing a bit just because you do worry about people's livelihoods in their lives outside of hockey. So yeah, it's one of those situations. You just feel awful. Yeah, it's, this is always about the health of Michael Farland, right? And obviously there's mm-hmm. an LTIR component and all that sort of stuff, but it's it's always going to be about the status of where he is, how do you maximize quality of life for Michael Furland, right? Like playing the game is, is awesome. Uh, but the, the phrase is always, uh, don't let the game use you, use the game, right? And obviously, right. there's a financial benefit to having a career in the NHL. Can you now use that and say, build a platform for your life rather than having the game kind of use you? And it, just in, in speaking about this, like Jim Benning joined James and Perry here on the starting lineup uh, less than a month ago uh, at the beginning of this month. And here's what he had to say about the whole Michael Furland situation leading up to today, where there are reports of him uh, missing camp now. I don't think like if the season was to start right now, he wouldn't be starting. Um, but he's continuing to, you know, work through the issues that he has. And, um, you know, uh, for right now, we're just hoping that he feels better and, and, you know, so he can, can, you know, continue on with his life. And then we'll see where, where he gets to, if he's going to be ready to play again or not. If Fer, if Ferland can't play, uh, Jim, does that give you financial flexibility to potentially add to the roster then? As of right now, we want to give some of our young players an opportunity and see what that looks like at training camp. And, and um, you know, like Zach McEwen, we think, is ready to play. He's going to come in and, and you know, we he played some games last year. I thought he played good. He gets in on the forecheck. He's a big body. He does things the right way. Goes to the net hard. Has a good shot. Um, so he's going to get a bigger role with the team this year. Um you know, so and we're just going to have to see see how training camp like shakes out. Like I've always said to, you know, all of our players, our young players, if you deserve to be here, we'll find a spot for you to to, to be on the team. So, you know, it'll be up to them uh, how they perform, you know, through the summer and, about you know, what type of shape they show up in and, and what type of training camp they have. It's uh, Jim Benning when he joined the starting lineup earlier this month. And look, you, you can read between the lines as we kind of get confirmation this morning is Michael Furlan not expected to be at camp. But you can kind of read between the lines from what Jim, Jim Benning said a couple of weeks ago. It's it, it was always going to be unlikely for him to get into camp. Yeah, as I said, not not a surprising result here that we're on the eve of training camp and, and hearing these reports about Michael Furland. Uh, Big Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd here on the starting lineup. As I mentioned, we did speak to Brian Burke earlier in the show. Uh, let's hear from him again as we, you know, just talking about the the core of this team and how there is internal improvement coming with the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I think the, 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 talking to people around the league, and I'm a Jim Benning fan, uh, talking to people around the league. The prospect pipeline for the Canucks is, is good. Todd Colson's going to play right away, in my estimation. Uh, and they've got a, a, a real high top-end explosive dynamic group in the top you know, five or six forwards. They've got star power there that in the playoffs look like star power. Uh, they've got a lot going. I think the depth is the biggest question on defense and at forward. Uh, and then they're betting on the young goaltender, Demko. Uh, they brought in Holpe, who is a real competent goaltender, but I think they're hoping if they can get even 80% out of Demko of what he showed against Vegas last year, that they'll be good with the two goalies they have. 
but I think people look at their team and compare them to other teams and say, really, they're, they're bottom six, really. There's not much offense there. There's not much of a threat there. But they've got stars that can beat you every night. You know, that's the, that's the key thing about and the fun thing about watching this team. They've got star power, which is, you know, Elias Pettersson. I'll stay up and watch him any night. Well, and you said five or six in the top two lines. So that's the big burning question in Vancouver right now. Who do you see being the best option for that final top six spot on that right wing of the second line? Uh, to me, I'm a big, well, I know that people have mixed emotions on him in Vancouver, which is true on everything. Um, I think Jake Vertanen's probably in the best spot. I know he's he's tested them for reliability and consistency, but I think he's in the best position to grab it if he wants it. Uh, he's got to get more serious about the game, but he's a good kid. And as I used to say about Nazem Kadri, when our guys are like, oh, God, Nazem's never going to figure it out. It's like, guys, he's worth a lot of trouble. Let's stick with it with this guy. He's worth a lot of trouble, and I think Jake's worth a lot of trouble. And Brian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned questions about the depth on defense for the Canucks as well. And I know I know here in Vancouver, that's been a, a hot topic of conversation the last few days about whether the team should go out and bring in a, a veteran defenseman like Travis Travis Hamonic to kind of shore things up on the blue line. How difficult a decision is that to make as a general manager when you have young players that you've drafted and you've developed and you can kind of go two ways. You can bet on the young players stepping up and fill those holes or you can go in and bring a veteran. What goes into a decision like that going into training camp? Well, I know they're, they're, they think a couple of their guys are ready um, and I think they're counting on that and that's what I think you have to do. We used to try to leave one spot open at forward at one spot open at defense going into training camp like to give a kid a legitimate chance or to have a spot for a waiver claim coming out of camp. And they think that there are a couple of their kids are ready. There's only one way to find out. Sometimes you just got to throw them in the pool and see if they can swim. And it's a real hard learning curve, but then you've got the waiver draft. You've got, uh, not the waiver draft, sorry, waivers. We used to have a waiver draft. I'm showing my age. You've got waivers. You've got, uh, there's a lot of still a lot of guys going in on pro tryout agreements, PTOs. Um, so to me, um, I think you could give those kids a chance and wait and not sacrifice a good start to the season. You could look at a couple kids and see, and then you could still with veteran. There's a lot of veterans out of work right now. Brian Burke joining us, a longtime NHL executive, also the author of Burke's law, which you can now purchase here on the starting lineup. Uh, you mentioned just perhaps a, a lack of depth for, uh, on the Canucks blue line. One of the things I've been harping on is uh, it feels like people are overlooking how certain players on this team can even take another step, the Pedersons and the Hughes of the world. When you're off-season planning, how do you plan for that internal growth coming from within your team? Well, I think you have to count on a certain amount of it. I mean, Elias Pettersson, I'm told, is really bulked up. I heard he looks great. Gained more than 10 pounds. And that's what I think people realize about this pause is it wasn't lost time. Like, the players didn't sit home and watch CNN. They used the time in the gym and on individual skill work. And so we saw the difference between the pause in March and when we started producing our draft show we had players that gained 20 pounds in that time from March to October, 20 pounds on an 18 year old, other kids, 15, 14, 13, all gym weight, all good weight. 
these guys did not waste that time. So to me, I think the fact that they've been off for a while uh, isn't the end of the world. They've all used it, not all, but most of them have used the time wisely. And I think you have to count on some internal improvement. I think you're entitled to count on or rely on it. Now, the issue becomes, for example, I had Nikolai Kuhlman with the Leafs. He had 27 goals one year, and we're like, finally, he's going to be a 30-goal scorer. We paid him like a 30-goal scorer, and I think the highest he ever got after that was 12. So we counted on some internal improvements. Sometimes you're disappointed, but generally speaking, players intend to improve in their pro career. And as Brian Burke, who joined us earlier today on the starting lineup, you can check the whole thing out at sportsnet.ca slash 650 and head to the show's page. You can check out anything uh, from Reach Deep, the program, OT, Scott Rinto Show. It's all there on our website, sportsnet.ca slash 650. Uh, before we go to break here, Jamie, some uh, an update from the federal government uh, is in regards to NHL training camps that uh, just coming down. Yeah, a bit of an interesting one here just came down that the federal government has issued an exemption to the mandatory uh, 14-day quarantine period for NHL players and team staff to return to Canada for training camps and they're saying this is they're doing it for under national interest grounds or on national interest grounds and it's interesting because you know just before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, I believe, Bill Daly commented saying, look, we we think we have an agreement in place that all of our Canadian teams are going to be able to play in their home provinces. That's still not official, right? The the federal government or and the provincial governments have not commented on that. They have not made that official. This one is interesting. I mean, it's a good thing for sure. The kind of funny part is, well, yeah, everyone's already here. So, I mean, they've already done this. They've, they've been here quarantining, getting ready for training camp. So I, I'm not sure how much it actually affects things on the ground, but just reading, reading between the lines, if you're getting an exemption like this and there's the, uh, the federal government had some positive words to say about the NHL safety measures as well in this announcement, you know, it, it probably means that uh, a, a confirmation of the Canucks and other teams playing in their home arenas is, is imminent here. What's the difference between 43 guys playing together for training camp versus what? Yes. 50 some odd playing a game. I, I think that's kind of how I view it. So, yeah, it's a, I guess, a step in the right direction. Obviously, no comment being made on the regular season games yet, which are scheduled to start January 13th. But uh, certainly a, a noteworthy announcement put forth by uh, the provincial governments today. More on the way. Vic Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd will touch on some of the biggest stories in 2020. Your thoughts as well on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the starting lineup. Vic Nazar, Katie Caldwell, and Jamie Dodd wrapping up 2020 final segment here. On the starting lineup, Chris Faber running the show back at Mission Control. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's uh, New Year's Eve. You hear that air horn. <laughs> it's getting real tonight for your parties. What what are your guys' plans tonight? My plans, I'm going night skiing. First, I'm going to have an wow. epic nap for most of the afternoon. <laughs> and then I will be night skiing because I live on the ski resort, so I can just walk over. It's super easy. And then I will be... Alone in my condo, probably <laughs> having a bottle of wine. <laughs> massive, 
<laughs> I have my dog Carl, so yes. that's fine. And apologies, by the way, if you hear him heavy breathing, he's just decided to join the show right now. Aww. All I, right, so it's Victor Zarr, Katie Caldwell, <laughs> Jamie Dodd, and Carl. <laughs> exactly. Um, I uh, so you know, just doing the morning show this week. I, I've pretty much we get off the air at nine. I go home. I try to get a nap as quickly as I can for you know an hour and a half, something like that. I'm wondering if today might be a two nap day. Like if I take the morning nap That's and the, then yeah. you know grab another one kind of mid afternoon. So I'm so I'm geared up and ready to go uh, until New Year's. I don't know. I think we're gonna do like a Zoom. Uh, kind of board game or game party game thing with some of our friends, but yeah, socially distanced. Just my wife and I at home. We'll we'll crack a bottle of bubbly probably, but nothing nothing too crazy. That's nice. Hey, have That's you tried nice the Zoom board games? Uh, on on occasion, not as regularly as we'd like. They it depends on the game, but they can work for sure. Because I, I still have to perfect that. I, I've got Zoom plans tonight uh with a big group of people i don't know how it's gonna work i think the biggest zoom i've done is like with a 650 staff yeah with like uh you know we, we've got 20 somewhat people here i'm expecting like 50 people in this wow. zoom, so i don't know how it's gonna oh, work wow. yeah i don't know how this is gonna work it's gonna be wild i don't even think we have like a a moderator or anything like that it's just gonna be chaos <laughs> but uh look you need to see as many people on uh, new year's generally and uh so uh, the, the goal is to do a zoom and also be in bed by 11 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> Living your absolute best life, Vic. That's Bizarre. like that's dream New Year's. Like I want to wake up on January first and like, right, feel right. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I, I just want to feel chill. Yeah, the on, um, on January first. The problem with uh, with New Year's as a parent is like. Like, my daughter doesn't know we're supposed to sleep in tomorrow, right? So, okay, great. I stay right. up late. I still got to get up when she gets up. So it takes a little bit of right. the shine off of staying up, for sure. Are I you going to do that... the, uh, the uh, Netflix thing? Because I, I don't know if they still do it. They must still do it. The uh, Netflix New Year's? What's that? Oh, because you used to be able to just, like, log in and be like, oh, if I want to do the kids' New Year's, I can play it at, Oh, like, like they have, like, o'clock. a fake New Year's celebration teed up yes oh that's interesting i didn't oh. know that i'm gonna check that out Bic, you should do that at like 9 30 <laughs> and then you can still celebrate think, yeah. and be in bed yeah that's how you've just planned out my new year's eve celebration well that that is one of the many advantages of living on the west coast like we always talk about it from the sports schedule perspective how it's superior oh, yeah. but for new year's i mean yeah you can watch the it's going to be different this year obviously but you can watch the Times square ball dropping at, at nine o'clock and, and hit the sack as soon as you want right after that it's great <laughs> hashtag best coast uh let's quickly finish this up with some uh best sports stories of 2020 and i want to end on a good note look we talked about you know the sports stoppages and some heavy things but i want to talk about some good things here um there's a handful of stories lauren duvernay tardif i think is one of the greatest sports stories we're seeing someone who's removed themselves from the sport to put themselves who by the way is uniquely talented to both be a doctor and a football player and in this Time of the world, a guy who stepped out of the offensive line trenches and put himself on the front line and said, I need to be here. It's too important. And someone who's very qualified and able to do so. And, and, and there's a reason he was a co-winner of the Lou Marsh Award. It's it's a fantastic story for, for and especially a, a Canadian doing this. It's, it's just... Mm-hmm. Puts a nice bow on, on top of a fantastic story. That was a moment that for all of us, we can probably all agree, you were just so, so proud to be a Canadian when that happened. 
Because A, it's amazing that he's already so successful and just coming off winning a Super Bowl. And then to be on this team where you recognize that there's a very easy chance of going back to back, but he had his priorities straight. It was, that's what was more important to him, his community, his country, his people. And, and it's one of those situations where if you can, if you can help and be on the front lines, I just have the utmost amount of respect for him. It's an amazing story. And, you know, just as we touch on a, a few final positive thoughts of 2020 here, not to rehash the Lou Marsh debate, but I mean, it, it's I, I thought it ended up being very fitting that that he and Alfonso Davies mm-hmm. shared the award because you yes. wanted to acknowledge the um, the unique nature of 2020 and, and the position that it put uh, Duvernay Tardif in. And you also wanted to celebrate just the incredible on-field accomplishments of Alfonso Davies. Yeah. And, and I still it, it, think, and this isn't a criticism that he shared the award, I just still think in general, we maybe don't really appreciate what Alfonso Davies accomplished, or we don't we, we don't understand like how far this could go. To have him already be probably the best player at his position in the world, I mean, the we talk about Elias Pettersson not having a ceiling. The ceiling of Alfonso Davies' athletic career, I don't think we've really started to grapple with what that could be. For sure. And it's always important to point out that, like, Alfonso Davies didn't lose the Lou Marshall Award. No, he like, won he it. Did, he, he won it. He's part of the history of the award. It, it's a co-winner. But he is getting recognized, rightfully so, for his athletic contributions to the season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've managed to get through 2020 here, at least on air. You've got another uh, 15 hours to go before this year is over. I hope for everyone listening, it is a safe evening. Please, I, I implore you to make it a safe evening as possible as you can. Uh, be responsible. And and I'm looking forward to talking to everyone in 2021. Let's try to be more positive. Let's. It, 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 it comes upon all of us. Yes, the calendar is going to change, but it, it it's incumbent on all of us to be part of that change as well. So uh, I hope you have a fun evening, Jamie and Katie. Thank you very much. And we will see everyone in 2021 on the way hockey central from 590. And also at noon overtime, OT Carolyn Frolic, Lindsay Horstings, Lena Satagian on the way at noon here on the home of the Canucks sports net 650.